Hey readers, book reviewers, podcasters, librarians, booksellers, and lovers of great scary books. BuzzBook Expo 2020 is just around the corner. BuzzBook Expo is a live streaming event in which publishers will be announcing all the great new horror fiction releases they have to offer through the coming year. There will be interviews, Q&As, presentations, book cover reveals, and more from all your favorite horror publishers, all for free. That's right, free. Spend two days immersed in exciting book talk from publishers and authors alike. The event will take place on August 22nd to 23rd. All information, including links to the expo, can be found at marysanji.wordpress.com forward slash buzzbookexpo2020. We hope to see you there. Headspace. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major platforms. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined by my partner in crime, Brennan LaFaro. Today we're Hello. talking with... Sorry, man, I skipped right over you. Yeah, no, rude. <laughs> Today we're talking with author, editor, and serial connoisseur, Mercedes M. Yardley. That's hilarious, because now it sounds like I eat a lot of cereal. <laughs> yeah, you, had to put, you have to put killer in there, otherwise it sounds like... She's going to tell us the difference between, like, you know, Lucky Charms and Marshmallow Mateys. I can do that. I do. You know, I have that. So one. you are, in fact, a cereal connoisseur. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I that works. I like all of it. The cheaper, the better. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mercedes, what got you into horror and dark fantasy? <laughs> um. I was a dark little girl. I mean, where do you go from that? <laughs> I am. Um, I always. I always did it. Always. As a. As a kid, um, I would write scary stories, and my mom was worried about me. And I got to go talk to um, <laughs> the high school counselor for for some poems I wrote and things like that. I, I don't know. I just like it. It's exciting and it's safe. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a, a way to process all the stuff that's going on. And I always liked it. So. What did the What did they say to you? <laughs> Sorry. What did they say to you? Yeah, like what did the <laughs> like your parents, the teachers, the guidance counselor? What were their concerns? It, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It wasn't. I mean, I wasn't that dark. I just. I grew up in a very small town, very faith based mm-hmm. Christian community, and my my dad was like, "Yeah, go for it. Whatever. Read Stephen King. That's cool." My mom was like, okay, you know, this is kind of scary. Are you okay with that? And I'm like, yours. And she was a librarian, so she was fine with it. My uh, teacher that kind of flipped out, I thought that was weird because she was a creative writing teacher. It was funny that she was like, do you need to talk to somebody about these poems? And I'm like, well, it's just based on this one nightmare I had, you know, so so not really. But I did go and talk to somebody because uh, I was kind of graduating high school and kind of wanted to get those credits and do all that stuff. So it turned out to be the school counselor was like also your school counselor with like credits. So he's like, is everything okay at home? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, all right, you know what? You're fine to graduate. This is great. So it was just kind of, I don't know. It felt very 
It felt weird because I'm not, look at me, I'm wearing kitty cat pajamas with little ghosts on them, right? Thank you. I'm a really nice person. You know, I'm not, things are a little dark, but in a very whimsical and fun way. And so it was kind of, I I wasn't writing like, you know, I'm going to kill people manifestos or anything like that. And so it was very frustrating to me that people are like, I want you to write. I want you to be creative, write what you want. Oh, not that. Mm. Or that, or that. Why don't you just write some like Christian fiction? And I'm like, I, I don't understand what you're asking me to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> my mind doesn't work that way. And, and so it was frustrating that, you know, people are like, we encourage you to write, but only in these very strict parameters. And that was, that was very frustrating. Yeah, that's not how art works. Well, yeah, and try being like 17 and explaining that to adults. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're that kid. But I was a really, really good kid. I mean, a super on the straight and narrow volunteer did like, I I mean, I did all sorts of like drug and alcohol prevention stuff. And I actually would go with the police when I was young, um, when I was like 16 or so to see if I could buy, I do the like the the tobacco and alcohol stings, you know? So I would, yeah, so I was wired and would like go and be like, I'd like to please order a Marlboro menthol light. Will you sell it to me? And, you know, and and they would be like, if they'd ask how old I was, I'd be like 16 because you can't lie, you know, and they'd sell it to me or they wouldn't. Or they'd ask me to go get certain beers and whatever. And I didn't drink, you know, I I, I grew up a Mormon, you know, so I'm all like, oh, so here's my uh, beers, you know. And so it was like I was a really good kid. So to have people kind of look at me like maybe I was going off the straight and narrow was just drove me nuts you know thank goodness for the internet now can i just say that everyone find their their niche find their tribe find their group yeah this is interesting so when we talked to todd keeslin a few weeks ago he grew up correct me if i'm wrong todd uh uh, not you're not todd you're brennan (laughs) correct (laughs) and you're you're todd's friend too so maybe you know um he grew up uh baptist is that do either one of you know? That was it. I believe I'm pretty that sure that's it. Okay. So he grew up Baptist. Me and Brennan, I think, grew up Catholic. I think that's fair to say you did too. And, Massachusetts, and grew, yeah. Yeah. And and you and you grew up a Mormon. I'm noticing a theme with people that try to get um have religion forced down them. <laughs> we don't like it. Well, I'm going to stop right here because I'm still an active member of my church. Okay. So I still, it wasn't forced, but I'm very comfortable with my own, you know, my, my religion is between me and my God. And I kind of feel like other people for, they, it, it was, yeah, it was forced when I was a kid. It's not forced now, but there are also things that I believe that like the people that would say, this is how it is. I'm like, I don't think that's how it is. Like, I think you were lying to me as a youth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but it is also very cool how many people that grow up with like a religious background go out into horror and sci-fi, you yeah. know, because you grow up thinking those things are like possible. And um, well, there is an evil and there is a good. And that's like kind of the whole basis of horror, right? Is this morality like good against evil? So if you kind of grow up that way, thinking that that's a way that it is and that, you know, there are demons, there are, you know, scary things from the other side. It's really cool to see people that are like raised with a religious background, how their their work differs a little bit from people that like grew up believing that's absolutely not true. You know, like there is what you see and that's it. And kind of how that differs from people that are like, well, I grew up thinking, you know, Satan was totally coming out, coming after my soul. It's like it's really a cool thing. I'd love to like 
study that sometime, you know? It's just cool how that is. It is, and they are interesting. I mean, I love learning about especially uh, the older ancient religions, um, you know, Egypt and um, really take your pick. Any uh, down in South America or Africa, they're just – a lot of them are – I don't think any of them are uh, monotheist, and they're all super interested. The polytheist ones, they fascinate me. They're so cool. They um, Native Americans also are a big one. I can't break down, like – what they believed in, I believe it went from one uh, tribe to another. It was different. I'm not an expert on it, but I, I'm just very fascinated by how that works because I, I pretty much was raised like, Jesus is your Lord, and I'm not knocking that at all. I mean, I still believe in that myself, but and, and honestly, I don't know what the hell t- the ultimate power, if there is one. To, I don't know what to believe in, but <laughs> I'm, I, I think it's interesting. I'm never going to, like, I, just to be clear, I wasn't going to knock anyone that still believes in one religion or the other. I just think it's kind of neat how a lot of us in horror that I've talked to had a force of religion upon them, and they're like, I'm going to do my own thing. Right, and and how so much of that, like Todd's work, I don't know if you guys have read Devil's Creek yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> That's really good. Which, which, by the way, ringing endorsement, it is really good. It's really powerful. If you're squeamish, step away. It's probably not for you. <laughs> super creepy. It's super creepy. Yeah, it is very creepy and very, you know, based in the old time religion, sort of, you know, it's a, a, a pastor that is otherworldly and just so creepy and just horrible. But, like, I love reading Todd's stuff because... He has that, I mean, he has that creep factor when it comes to religion, you know, like it is like, that's a totally different religion idea than what I was brought up with, you know, and that sort of thing. And I love when people can like infuse, like he's taking aspects of real cults and things like that and putting it into this like really sick, twisted, not of this world thing. I love when people can do that. Like I love reading religious um, horror and religious because it's, it's, it's strikes true and my my um family mostly my in-laws who are so sweet they're like can't you please just write some nice mormon fiction like a nice mormon romance and i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) i wrote a romance and it's called apocalyptic montes and nuclear lulu and it's about serial killers you know like that's my idea of romance and it's it's a little bit different but yeah you guys need to read todd's book if you um want to not sleep at night ever oh oh, we I think it's fair to say, Brandon, that we loved, we both loved it. I mean, it's, yeah, fantastic. It's such a good book. It's like a old seventies, later or earlier eighties Stephen King, and right. it, I just I don't know how else to come. He's he's like a different version of King. He's just fantastic. Well, well, he's he's reminiscent of King, and I think in that he has like this huge cast of characters that he's really good at wrangling. Like I can't wrangle that many characters like that i i want to that's one of my goals but um but he's also very much not king he's he's todd you know mm. you can see like if you guys have ever read this final reconciliation which is my favorite book of his which i suggest you read it's about like right. the king and yellow mythos like you can see that it's the same author like he's going to be a household name in my plan and he knows this i'm very open is to write his coattails to fame because he is great like really good and i think devil's creek is going to be the the one that gets him the notoriety that he deserves it should i don't yeah. it's um it's already in my top i think it's in a lot of people's like top 
five top ten books of 2020, which is saying a lot. There's so many good books yeah. that came out this year. There's a lot of good stuff that came out, yeah. Brendan, why don't you jump in, man? I was going to say, it seems like it's everywhere, too. Um, it, it looks like, you know, everybody I follow has has picked up their copy. It's on their way. They're waiting for it. I, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be a big success. And I was, uh, you know, we, we said it kind of is reminiscent of that voice of early king and it just it reminded me a lot of salem's lot which is my favorite king book and i wanted to ask him about that and thank goodness he you know kind of cut me off when we talked to him and and basically said that was one of his biggest influences because i'm not really sure how to ask somebody hey did you model your um your kind of master work off of somebody else's you know creativity (laughs) right (laughs) um i Okay, jumping back real quick, short answer. When you uh, were, you know, working for the police and going in to buy uh, cigarettes and alcohol underage, what was your success rate like? Oh, astronomically high. Oh, Um, my goodness. They almost never didn't sell to me. But I was also... I was also really cute and young and blonde and had like, you know... And they would take pictures of me beforehand and they would be like, okay, today we need you to just... Zero makeup, you know, we want you to look as young as possible. Um, here's what the picture of you looks like. And then I would go in and buy it. And then they'd be like, okay, today we want you to look maybe a little bit older, you know, do your makeup, do your hair, whatever. Don't wear, you know, a fluffy pink sweatshirt. Um, and they they would always sell to me. <laughs> they always would. And it was, I felt bad because, you know, you don't want to get somebody in trouble. But I also was like, I don't think you should be selling, you know, cigarettes to little kids and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I think there were a couple of times I got turned down, but like very, very rarely. And most of the time people would say, you know, how old are you? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 16. Can I have this beer? And they would be like, well, you know, there are people that come in and, and buy beer for the police. And I was like, oh, I've heard about that, you know? And they're like, okay, well, here's your beer. And I'm like, Okay, bye. You know, and technically not lying. Technically, you have heard about that. Yeah, I I wouldn't lie, and then I would go and sit in the van and just feel ashamed while the police are like, because they have it all, you know, recorded, and they walk in with my picture, and they're like, so I went. There's this gas station, um, and it and a couple times it was in my hometown, which is like tiny, tiny, tiny. Like everyone, you know, one of the people that sold to me, like her son, is in my grade, and so she knew. You know, (laughs) she's like. Hey, Sadie, here's your beer. And I'm like, do you not know that? Like, <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but uh, some of them would be in other, you know, other areas. And um, there was a gas station like 10 years ago I walked into and they still had a picture, one of my pictures up. I'm like, do not sell to this girl. And I'm like, well, you can totally do it now. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm totally legal now, but it was, it was weird. It was fun. It was kind of cool at, at, for a time. I was actually wondering if I wanted to go into like police work, but I don't have the constitution for it, you know? I, I'm too, I'm too gentle. Um, but yeah, I mean, they almost every time. And one time, probably one of my favorite things that ever happened is they, and they'd ask me like different things. Will you get this certain kind of beer? Will you get this certain kind of, you know, will they sell you this? Will they not sell you this? They just wanted information. Right. So I got this like big, huge, like, like, you know, I can like barely carry it all. And this guy's kind of hitting on me in the line and it was super uncomfortable. Right. And I'm like, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And finally I'm like, yeah, just come with me to the, to the van <laughs> because he just would not stop. And he like comes to the van and the van opens and everyone's sitting there with their, 
you know, headsets on and whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm good. And just turned and left. And that was kind of my favorite <laughs> because I was just like, no, please leave me alone. No, no, thanks. No. And he's like, what are you doing? You partying? Can I come with you? Can I come with you? And finally, I'm like, yes. You know what? Yes. <laughs> yes, you can. So Party in the van. <laughs> party in the van. I'm like, oh, come on. I'm this like blue eyed, blonde haired, little, you know, little sweet girl. Yeah, I can barely carry all these beers. Why don't you come with me? Uh, that is both hilarious and gross. Um. Was, he a, was he a serial killer? <laughs> but just that collective sigh, you know, when the band yeah. was like open and they're all like. <sighs> uh, so, Mercedes, tell us a little bit about how uh, you came to edit Arterial Bloom for Crystal Lake. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, I, I'm i excited. So I'm an art, uh, I'm an arterial bloom author. I am. I mean, I'm a Crystal Lake author. Um, he's published a couple of my books. And um, I was actually originally going to be a, a co-editor with somebody else that has done many of their books. And this was going to be kind of my maiden voyage. So I was going to co-edit with somebody else. And uh, he ended up um, leaving the project. So I did everything by myself and was terrified <laughs> the whole time. Um I read all the stories. I picked them. Uh, that was familiar familiar because I used to work with Gamut magazine, um, and I used to work with Shock Totem magazine, and so I knew how to do all that. But like some of the things, like the contacting for money and pay rates and all that, was just kind of unusual. And um, anyway, so <laughs> like a year later, I end up with this amazing um, book that is just. I did some of the inner art. Todd Kiesling actually did um, the cover and he did the formatting on the inside. The inside is just beautiful. And he did, um, I did um, art for some of the stories, uh, watercolors, and he did art for the ones that I didn't do watercolors for. And it was just really, really awesome. So it ended up being um, a lot more than I had originally signed on for just because I was supposed to be kind of, Hey, I'll be your backup and support. And then it was suddenly like, here's your first anthology go. But it was also really exciting because I don't know if I would have ever said yes to my own anthology. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't have time, whatever. I didn't have time. I haven't written on my own work for about a year. It t- I took about a year off, Whoa. Um, which was difficult. But it's beautiful and I love it. And the stories all have teeth. And I think it's, I think it's really good. I think the author is just... There were about, I want to say about 700, 800 stories, and we picked, um, what, 17? So it was, a, it was a process. It was, I, I dreamed about it at night, like every night. Todd's, <laughs> really- a, hell, Todd's a hell of an artist. Yeah, I know. And he had, a, he had a hell of a story in there, yeah. too. And after that, we should probably stop talking about him or he's yeah, going to become arrogant. Todd. Todd's encroaching yep. on my time. <laughs> let me, look, let me just pause and call Todd real quick. Yeah, like, <laughs> Oh, he's probably there. He's probably lurking. <laughs> Todd. Fucking Todd. <laughs> um, so I would actually like to know something. Uh, Joe Meinhart, he is... There were two publishers when I started thinking, hey, I want to be a novelist. That was in 2013, which is awesome because that's when I met my wife and she made me realize that's my dream. And um, I don't know how, but Crystal Lake was like the first, that and Sinister Horror Company, a British, uh, a company out of England. 
Um, they were the first two publishers I came across on Twitter, and Joe is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He really is. He's and he, here. Yeah. He he's published the biggest things in horror: Neil Gaiman, Kane, Clive Barker. He's interviewed Wes Craven, I believe, before he passed. Um, I I don't know what else to say. He just published his 100th novel. That's yeah. he's like one of the people that. I think any author should pursue. So I was curious what you have to say about him. Well, when I met Joe, I actually met him through uh, Kevin Lucia. Um, I was the first author in a company um, that they had published that was doing really well and had a really big name and then just totally tanked and kind kind of took everyone with them a little bit. And oh. I didn't know what to do with my stories. I had three books published by them. And one of them was on the Bram Stoker um, shortlist, and it actually ended up winning. Um, but I was like, what do I do with these books that I have? And 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 Kevin Lucia talked to Joe for me, and Joe's like, if you want to come publish them with Crystal Lake, I'm more than willing to take them. Because reprints are, you know, a tough sell. Like, if they're published at this company and then this company tanked, who's going to want your your tanked books, you know? And and I was so gun-shy. Like, I didn't, I just didn't. I, I was just devastated because this company, not only was I their first author, but they were my, they published my first books. So like, yay, here's my very first book. Here's my very first book. Boom. And it was like, <laughs> you know, and Joe was so sweet and so kind and like talked me through stuff and it just really, and he's sincere. Like he means it. He's not like secretly willing and dealing. He just, he's, he's straight, you know, this, this is what I want to do. He surrounds himself with talent. He's kind to people. I, I really enjoy working with him. He, um, he, I think he takes on a little more than he can handle, you know, because a hundred bucks, but he is just, he works hard and he really like a genuinely good guy. And I absolutely stand behind his genuine goodness. And because you're finding I don't know if you've noticed, but there are some creeps in the, the horror community that are that are coming out or people have known about or whatnot. And Joe's not, you know, Joe's a, a yeah. good and he's willing to like, hey, you and you should, you know, collaborate on this or he's willing to share his information and he's willing to like, you know, if, if I am saying, listen, I don't know about this person. What have you heard about them? If Joe says, you know, I believe they're a really good person. I'm more apt to believe Joe than, you know, a lot of other people. Cause I don't feel like he, like he's a genuine good family man who cares about people and the industry. So I love that. I love being with a publishing company that I feel confident about because it yeah. is full of pitfalls. You know, this doesn't turn out, this doesn't turn out, this doesn't turn out. And it's like difficult, you know, and, and Joe's had some, had to make some tough decisions. Like, um, letting some people go that weren't, you know, doing the best work and being the best in, you know, environment and stuff. And he's had to make some of those tough calls and he's made them, which has been really nice for the rest of us, you know, cause nobody wants to work with a psychopath or, you know, someone that they don't trust or whatnot. And, and he's really good to weigh everything and, 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 and be good about it, be very moral about it. And mm. you know, yeah, I, I think that's great. So yeah, bye from Joe. Woo! I, no, I definitely. The downside I of uh, him of him being such a good guy is when he asks you to take the entire anthology on your own shoulders, you say yes. 
<laughs> yeah. Anything for you, Joe? <laughs> I was also for a while. We had a children's division that I was I was co-running, and <laughs> I was so excited for that. Well, it, it tanked. I know. For the same reason, so. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's um, it's for the best. It's yeah. for the best, but it makes me sad because I had some books picked out to publish from different people that I was really looking forward to, and it's it's hard to do a small, you know, it's hard to do a children's book. There are so many. I was really looking forward to putting some of theirs out, but. Yeah, um, I'll definitely echo all that about Joe. Not to get into anything, but yeah, uh, before 2020, when there's been some really fucked up things to come out with more what? than one person <laughs> yeah, within the horror community, um, there, yeah, there's been, just listen to your gut. It's probably always right. Yeah. And Joe and I have talked, I feel like it's safe to say for five years now. I don't know. I, th- I think that's not too far off. And I've gotten to the point where I can talk to him about, me and him talk about, and it's not long conversations, but I ask him about his daughter and his family, and he talks about yeah. mine. He's given me advice when I first had my kid, and I'm just like, all right, like, this is one of the coolest publishers I know. Yeah, you really, like, you really, I, I want to, res- I, I respond to that kindness, you know? Yeah. I want to I want to support that kindness, because so many people are, are not not kind, and he's yeah, the- great. <laughs> they're not kind <laughs> but yeah he's he's good and he does he finds people that do good work too he's i think he's really good at um scouting talent and finding mm. people that are 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 good and have different and unique voices i think he's got a varied varied stable of authors that i really enjoy yeah and it's somehow i convinced him to be on my show in a couple of weeks he's like i've barely done it <laughs> I'm excited. I've never actually like heard his voice. I've never heard an interview with him or whatnot. So it'll be cool to like hear. He's, so, he's South African. So, yeah. So it's an ac- it's a different accent. That much I know. Um, Brennan, I got other questions. I don't want to cut you off if you have anything else pertaining to this subject. Um, I was actually kind of curious about um, you know, w- one of the big things is it's pretty rare to have uh, a publisher put out an anthology that doesn't really hone in on a, a certain theme. Um, what what made you decide to go in that direction? Well, originally it was going to be one of the um, Tales from the Lake unthemed anthologies. Um, and we like to keep those unthemed because everyone was selling, sending like lake stories. Like just because it's from Tales of the Lake, it's Crystal Lake Publishing. It's not like there's a lake and I drowned in it 15 times, you know, in, in all the stories. So when people were originally sent their stories in, that's what it was for. So it was an unthemed anthology that way. I think that if I was going to have done it from the get-go by myself, I would have done a theme um, just because it's easier as an editor to kind of collect things to a theme. But um, the stories were chosen, and then we ended up, and it was chosen under that Tales from the Lake umbrella. And then we ended up completely dissolving that that book and that contract, but I still really wanted the story. So I went to each author and said, hey, can I still have your story for this different anthology? And they were all gracious. Every single one of them was gracious and said yes, which was, I was so happy. I mean, these are, I love these stories. I love these stories so much. Um, and so that's why they're unthemed. It was originally for, for something else, and then we put them together. But I noticed that they kind of seem to, they, they go together anyway, even though it was an unthemed thing. It was like, um, they're all kind of about monsters, about beautiful monsters, I guess, kind of in a way. Like, And I don't know. They just, they all fit together really well. Um, and honestly, themes, I think, are more for the editors than the, the readers, per se. 
because it's just mm. easier, you know, <laughs> it's just easier to like, okay, that helps you narrow things out if they don't fit, fit the theme and it kind of helps you and makes it an easier process. But yeah, I think these fit together really well and kind of all, they all have teeth. That's probably, you know, people are like, what's the theme? It's like the monster is us <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, just kind of that monstrous, but there's, but there's also so much good in a lot of these characters is a very, um, what's the word? I don't want to say uplifting because like everyone dies, but you know what I mean? It's a very humanizing. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. This book only came out this year. Yeah. Damn it, Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't um, die in everything, but I mean, in horror, it's typically not happy. End- Horrors aren't, aren't known for their happy endings. Yeah. You know, so, the happy ending is someone crawled away with like most of their body intact. <laughs> I forget the title of, I think it was the second story, Katsu. Is it? Yeah, Katsu stories. Yeah, so the character that has flashbacks at Korea. Um, so, I, again, I won't make this long, but my maternal grandfather, he was he fought in Korea and um, didn't really ask him any questions because I was a little bit too young. And I got, there was closure. I got to say goodbye, but... I kind of I'm curious of that. My paternal grandfather died way earlier than that, so I I just was like I wonder if he kind of maybe thought similar things about Korea, about you know how cold it was and whatnot. And I don't know that that was my personal takeaway from it. I'm like this is neat. It's making me think of my grandfather, and I'm smiling during a horror. So well, I'm so glad that's that's one of my absolute favorite stories. There were two stories in there that I read, and I'm like okay, I read one time and was like yes, and put them on the S pile. That was one. It's which, just so, can you say can you say which one? Yeah, Kudzu Stories was one. Oh, okay. And the other like, one was I'm af- I, I'm afraid I'm going to say the names wrong because I'm just um, dog does not eat dog, and okay. that's the one with the, um kind of where the, the friends meet up and there's kind of a a plague of sorts and it's kind of the end of the world and it's very gritty and bitter and I just read that one and I was like oh my heart oh it hurts oh I need it you know. As one does. <laughs> so <laughs> Armand Rosamalia. <laughs> so Armand Rosamalia has got he's in that book and uh it's kinda I I heard you and I don't know if you changed your writing process, but in This Is Horror, um you talk about writing in fifteen minute intervals. Uh that's probably for not similar reasons. I don't I don't know his exact reasons, but uh Armand does that too. Um Actually, I think it was because it's just uh, he can write more within that constrained time. Um, he refers to that as a Mondo method. I thought that was interesting. I haven't tried it myself, but have you messed around with other ways to go about writing that uh, have worked? For me, the short, concise times work the best, um, mostly because I have three kids that are like not in this room yet, but will be. Um <laughs> They're just very busy. And, um, yeah, if I have, like, too long of a writing period, like, if I'm, like, I'm going to sit down and have these three glorious hours, I end up taking a nap. Or I end up doing (laughs) something that, like, I can't focus for that long. So, for me, the short and concise works because I'm literally writing for my life. Like, okay, the kids are going to come. And, you know, the house is going to burn down. Because I don't know if you know, but we are horrifically unlucky and just have all these weird things that happen. It's like, I need to write before, you know, something, the meteor hits the house. And, <laughs> you know, that helps um, for me. 
What also helps for me is if I like can go somewhere different, um, which hardly ever happens. Um, but occasionally if I can stay in a hotel, um, so when I go to, uh, like, um, writer's cons and I should be networking, I find that I'm back in my hotel writing because that's the only time I can have like peace mm-hmm. and it, and I'll write like a whole bunch until I, you know, take that inevitable nap or whatever. But it's like, yeah, the short and concise works the best for me because it, it, it makes me focus. It kind of makes my brain like, this is my time, do it. And there's kind of that, um, that urgency to it helps me because otherwise I'll like edit, 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 edit. And this uh, lets me not do that. So I'll, what I'll do is I'll read, you know, okay, this is what I just wrote, kind of get back in that voice, write for my 15 minutes and 20 is okay too, but 15 to 20, half an hour is too long. Um, I find myself wandering away. I write with that urgency and then I can stop. And if I want to write more, I can, but I, mm. I have to do that amount of time. That's, that's the best for me. I, I don't, I'm not allowed those long periods of time. And so I don't do well with them when I get them. I just, okay. I them. Um, and my, my son has special needs and my daughter, you know, is, is young and there's just like all this. So I don't have that time. And our house is seriously the size of a shoebox. Like we were watching tiny house nation and I'm like, I don't know if I could live in a tiny house. And my husband's like, you know, our house is 200 square feet bigger than that house. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, and there's two of them in there and there's five of us in here. And I'm like, Oh, well, okay. You know, <laughs> so I can't live in a tiny house. I found out. <laughs> Brennan, you got anything to add to that, sir? No, I just I, I love a lot of those points. I'm kind of with you on that. Um, you know, I'll sit down and just have this kind of condensed period. And, you know, I know that my you know, whether it's my timer or my children are going to go off in 15 minutes. And, I, you know, I might reach for my phone and say, nope, nope, damn it. Put it yes. down. You, you, you can't do that. You can't spare that time. Um, and even if I know I have more time, I, I'm really bad about editing while I'm writing a first draft. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll put my half hour in, I'll be like, I'll, I'll think I'm productive and I'll say, okay, let's look at my 200 words. Right. Cool. That's nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. well, yeah, They're good words, I guess, but no, I'll delete them tomorrow. Um. <laughs> and it's never done. That's the thing. Like I was telling somebody, I don't go back and read my books after my books are done. Right. I don't go back and read them unless I'm doing a reading or unless I'm doing something like that. I don't like, this sounds like fun to me because I'm finding every mistake, everything I would have changed every it's never done. You know? So if you're editing as you're going, you're never going to finish because it's never going to be done. You always, do you remember when um, Dean Koontz went back and like rewrote a whole bunch of his books and re-released them? I mean, they were done and published and like, he's like, you know what? That sucks. Let's redo that. You know? And it's like, it, you're never done. So yeah, that's part of the reason I do that too, is to, is to shut my editor up because she is cruel and she is, you know, sharp and she just needs to like step aside because I don't have time for that crap. If I only have that. <laughs> Plus, um, well, you know, long term, but if you re-edit every book that you do, let's just throw a number every 10 years, at, like you're not going to see your growth or your evolution eventually, right? It's all going to kind of blend to one phase of your life, I would think. Like yeah. like Stephen King, you wrote Carrie when he was young. That's not the same guy that wrote uh, 11-22-63. There are two different people. Right. You know? it, and, and I would get bored. 
I get <laughs> so my shame is that I have a trilogy that was written as a standalone, and then my publishing company that tanked said, "Hey, let's do a trilogy." And so I, it was all done. And then at the end, I'm like, "But wait, there's more." And I have never finished it because in my mind, it was a standalone. I I love the characters. I know what they're supposed to do. I have the sec- second book mostly written. The third book's completely written in my head. I can't make myself sit down and do it because I'm I'm done. I did my story with them. I want to move on. And that redoing something over and over and over drives me nuts. Like Stephanie Meyer, I'm so glad that she's doing so well with Twilight. But she like did, what, like four books of Twilight. Yep. And then she redid the first book as a gender switch, I guess. Through uh, now, Edwards. <laughs> through someone else's eyes. No. No. A gender switch. Oh, really? So it's like. My apologies. And Bello or whatever. And now she's redoing it through Edward's eyes. So, okay. it, so it's that same first book three different ways. And I'm like, like, that. like that would drive me insane. I couldn't do that. Like, I can't finish my sequels, you know? Like They'll all sell, though. I mean, they do sell. Yeah. They do sell. And they're, I think they're I, – I, I didn't care for the books myself. Um, personally, but I mean, so many, it got people to read so many people read those books, you know, and there's something so awesome about someone reading a book in an airport and you're like, Oh, I recognize that book. You know, that is cool. I love that. I love when people are reading, but like that would bore me stiff. I can't even write my trilogy because I've already done those characters. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) doing the same book three times from three different angles. Like, no, no. Right in the same book, you know, different point of view character. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a guess here. Uh, let me know if I'm right. But are you are you a pantser? Yes. <laughs> OK, uh, I'm just thinking of the way I approach writing. And, you know, there have been so many um, stories where I don't really know where it's going. And then once I figure out where it's where, where I'm going to end it. I stop writing because I'm like, well, I already, I already know what I'm done. I, I already know what's going to happen, and yeah, you know, I'll get to it eventually. But let's try something different. You yeah. strike me as as approaching your work from that point of view. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely like the novel. I'm working on a novella right now, and um, I'm doing like a, the Clarion West Write-a-thon for it, and I have people sponsoring me, which is really awesome and it makes me feel good. And I have no idea where it goes. I, I have no idea, and that's what makes it fun. But like. Um, I wrote a book called Pretty Little Dead Girl. No, yes, Pretty Little Dead Girls. And and the whole thing was like fate was going to kill this girl. Like she was going to be murdered. That was her destiny. And I got to the chapter where I decided whether she lived or not near the end. And I didn't know when I'm sitting down to write that chapter. I still didn't know if she was going to live or die because I that if I knew what fun would that be, you know. So I wrote it and I'm like, oh, this is what happens. Mm, That fits, you know. But it (laughs) it was like, yes. Absolutely that. Like, if you know how the story is going to end, why, what fun is that? What, what fun, the work is done, you know, what fun is that? I need that exploration. I just, I crave that newness, like things that are repetitive or just, I really struggle with that, which is funny because I have kids and everything's repetition. Like how many times have you guys read Goodnight Moon, you know, when you were, they were young, (laughs) but like, you know, it's, I need that newness. I need that freedom and that being constrained just, drives me nuts and with that um trilogy we're actually wondering if we should just pull off the trilogy part and maybe i want to write it if i don't have to write it and don't have that pressure i don't know but it's been you know i hate to read my reviews on it because like where's the next one and i'm like 
oh, I've written like six other things since then that are totally unrelated, you know, because <laughs> I, I want that newness. You know, I, I'm beholden to no one. We are wild beasts. We are creatures. You know, we can just run free. And I, I hate that being constrained in an, in an, in an art, which maybe goes back to being a kid and being told, you know, he, write creatively, but within these very narrow parameters, like, no, my soul cries out against that. You know, I just, I, I feel passionate about that in case you couldn't tell. Learn <laughs> <laughs> the imagine? rules so you can break the rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could yes, actually, in Pretty Little Dead Girls, breaks the fourth wall like you have never seen, you know, like, and, and it works because you know the rules so you can shatter them. You can, yeah, create something new, do something fun, have it be enjoyable. I don't know. Could you imagine being George R. R. Martin where um, you not only said years ago, I'll have the last two books done, not only that, not only did the TV show that started like 12 years after your first book finished, not only that, but you came up with the prequel that has another book that's 800 or so pages. But you're having fans only want that that six and seven book. Could you, I wouldn't want to finish it if it was well, me. What about you, Patrick? Let me let me interrupt you there. He probably isn't writing it because he knows how it's going to end and he's bored. <laughs> <laughs> he does know how it ends because I, I listen to behind the scenes and documentaries and stuff, and um, I love those things and. He, the showrunners, they were told how it ends because they have to know something. Right. It's similar, I guess. You know, I think like that he is living my personal hell. Yeah. You know that, and and he's being hounded, and people are feeling like they're owed. And yeah. you know what he does not owe anybody anything. That is that is his life, his work. I think he should, you know, Robert Jordan died, so that was different. But, you know, how Brandon Sanderson, like, finished The Wheel of Time for Robert Jordan. Give it to someone else. Give him your notes. Let them do it. You run you run free, George R.R. R. Martin. You, you, you don't, you're not beholden to anybody. Yeah, but Robert Jordan, wasn't that, wasn't that like a 15-book series? Yes. No, wait, I think it was 18. No, I, I started that in high school, okay. and right. I, I never finished it. <laughs> there's, there's a Rand in the box book. It's somewhere in the middle. Rand, the main character, is in a box and being like carried from, and and that's kind of where I fizzled. I'm like, if the main character is in a box for an entire book, I'm kind of done. You know, it I just think couldn't... I got to book five, and I was seeing people say like, oh, you know, books three, four, five, six, and seven are a slog. But after that, no, that's that's like seven thousand pages. That's like I'm your life. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna slog through that much material right, to get to exactly. a, a mediocre ending. Oh, and there was so much repetition too. Like, how many times did you hear about her tugging her thick braid and her thick woolens? You know, like like you tug that braid one more time, I'm gonna snap your arms off, whatever your name is. You know, I they're they're gonna. I'm just going to go nuts. But they're making it into a series. Did you hear that? I that did. I will watch. I will be excited to see that. Much but- less time consuming than a thousand page book. Yes. They're making everything into a series. Like Lord of the Rings has a uh, season two they're already working on. Um, and I don't know when season one's coming out. Oh, really? I hadn't heard that. That's, that's um, exciting, but also Amazon? I'm of it. <laughs> yeah. You, talking to some friends, like recently I've, I've been slow to this scene, but, like, I want some diversity. I love Tolkien. I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. It's not only that I don't want them to fuck uh, up the movie series, but, because here's ways to improve it. 
there is better. There's like, why don't we have some black female authors that wrote fantasies? I can't think of her name, but that one that won, um, she won the, oh God, I'm going to butcher it, the Nebula Award? What, what Are is, you thinking is, of uh, N.K. Jemison? She, three, she, for her three books, won two awards. Uh, God, I'm butchering this. Maybe. <laughs> I, I think I think I think you are. I think. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Why not that? Why not go with that? Right. I mean, there's so much good work that's coming out constantly. I mean, we were just talking about all these amazing books. I'm not going to mention a certain somebody that kind of overtakes this podcast without even being here. But there's a book that rhymes with Mevel's Deke that I think would be a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Oh, I don't know. I have like four or five that would be awesome as movies. Like there's so much new work that's coming out that I'm tired that I'm seeing like overboard being remade with the gender swap. You know what I mean? Like we'll make sure to tag Netflix in this when we post it. So they know that your, your work is available um, for purchase. (laughs) Just say, Hey, look, he, I mean, I can't speak for him, but fuck it. I don't even know if he's going to listen to this. We are going to have Josh Mallerman on eventually. So this is the first place it's been announced later in August. But um, talk to him. Be like, yo, hook me up with Netflix. <laughs> just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> well, there's just, I don't know. And everyone's like, well, there's nothing new on. And it's like, I don't want to see another um, Wuthering Heights, right? Remake. I don't want to mm. see another Cinderella story. Right. I just... There, give me something new. That, the new repetition Spider-Man. killing. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I was tired of superheroes when Hancock came out. Oh my God. All right, so the rest of this, I just, my, it's killing me. It's yeah, f- fuck Marvel, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> this is very counter to the conversation we had with uh, Jonathan Mayberry last week. <laughs> well. <laughs> he writes for them, so. Well, yeah. And, and like my husband's a huge Marvel, you know, Marvel and um, DC fan, whatever. I'm like, if I see another superhero, I'm just going to jump off a, a ledge. You know, I just please just end it for me because I, I can't. I can't. Another superhero story. No, <laughs> no. Mercedes no. is the counterbalance to Marvel, which, by the way, I do like the movies. I was only I was only saying fuck Marvel because <laughs> Brennan loves them. No, no. <laughs> so moving on to something that I would like to that, talk that about. Make if... Cry is that what we're saying? Moving on quickly. <laughs> I've seen the tears streaming. Um, I, I, I enjoy them because I, uh, I I like going to see them with my boys. It's a bonding experience. I don't know why you feel like you have to make fun of that, Patrick. But <laughs> whoa, <laughs> I'm a Shut dick. Right the hell? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. You hate children, Patrick. I mean, like, even if I didn't like you and you talked about your kids, you're going to make me feel bad. Like, I it's can't good, do that. It, it's, that's, you know, that's that's the card that you get to play. Um, it also that, helps you uh, leave well parties played. early if, if you know, you ever get to attend parties again. I may have not worked overtime at work because I uh, had to take care of my kid. <laughs> I really did, but still. Yeah. Um, so... It's kind of Mer- weird, but um, they kind of should be that way. <laughs> yeah. So, Mercedes, I don't know if you want to talk about this project. Um, I forget the title. I apologize. But you were working on something with your des- um, graphic designer. I don't know if that's the proper title. An artist, Orion Zangara. 
Yeah, isn't he so awesome? Yes. So Pretty Little Dead Girls, the one I was telling you about, the novel I wrote where I didn't know how the ending was going to be until I got to that ending. We're um, turning it into a graphic novel, and it is so gorgeous. Um, Orion Zangara, or Zangara, I don't know because I've never heard him say his name, um, is the artist for that, and he is just so phenomenal. So what we did is... um, Comic books are really different. Graphic novels are really different than normal (laughs) fiction books. Like for us, you write the book and you turn it in and then they publish it, right? So apparently how it tends to work with graphic novels is you write the book, the script, you, you, you do all the art, you publish it yourself, and then you try and get somebody else to pick it up. So it's kind of backwards in that way. Oh, that's weird. I didn't know that. I neither did I. Thank goodness uh, <laughs> Ryan knows all this stuff. He's like, I got you, boo. I've got, I've got this. I'm like, this is, this is backwards. But um, what we did is we did, um, we're, we're breaking it down into three separate parts, and we did a, a Kickstarter for the first part. We'll do two more over the next, you know, four years. So it'll be, um, so we did a Kickstarter, and then we, um, our, I wrote the script, which was so hard for me like breaking down a novel into like pictures I just like it it broke my mind like okay so I would be like it was like it was like learning a new language so that I could speak to my artist (laughs) and I'm like okay so five five frames and you know taking like three pages of of words and putting into like two sentences so it was really tricky um and then we did that and I got that written and sent it to Orion and the art is just stunning like he's so good and I think I told you that he he works his his wife's name into his art so I'll like he'll write like he'll draw a panel and I'm trying to find where he hid his wife's name in it because he's just super sweet they are so cute they're newlyweds and just darling and um anyway that comes out in October so the first volume will come out in October and it ends in a satisfactory manner and then when um the second volume comes out um, and then the third volume will come out and then we'll combine all three together into one omnibus. So it's going to be a 300 page graphic novel, which is really thick and awesome and wonderful. And it's going to be like years. It's like a years long project. And that's hard for me because I I don't know if you've noticed, I have difficulty with repetition and stick to itiveness, but it's, it's my favorite story I've ever wrote. And that's, I can't wait. Like he'll show me the pictures and I'm just like, because ah, they're so good. And it's so cool to see like, here's your character and here's how somebody else that's an artist sees your work, you know? Mm. And it's also cool because um, some of the rewards that we did different rewards, like for the Kickstarter tier, like I'll write you into a story or Orion will draw you into the novel. So we have like people that are um, showing up as characters in the the thing and that's just really cool so that's really neat yeah like my mother-in-law's in in there (laughs) stuff like that uh, yeah i took i took you up on you said that we get along so i messaged him and uh we talked a little bit yeah he's he's a super nice guy and i talked to him about that pick that one drawing and like it's so awesome i love i love hearing when like a husband or wife talks so like glowingly of their spouse yeah. it, it almost almost makes me ch- ch- like choke up but um he said i also draw her in the background in some of them too oh i have to look i, I didn't know that i'll look for her i'm like that's really cool that's awesome um 
Yeah, he's one of the ones that makes the world shine. You know what I mean? Like there's so much ugliness and I'm finding that I'm stepping away from a lot of toxicity that people are just making my time on earth not so awesome. And he's one of the ones that like whenever he pops up, it's like, oh, it's like it's like water on parched roots, you know, like he's got that love and that joy and that creative creativity. And he's not like if you hear him talk about his animals, ask him about his pets. (laughs) <laughs> it will just, I'll remember that. Yeah, and when my cat disappeared, Orion was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no. Oh my heart." And he meant it, you know. Mm. And like he's just—he's one of the people that will make your your life a richer, fuller experience just by being in it. So, and he draws good too. He's a really good artist. Um, yeah. yeah. The older I get, I feel like because I—I'm just gonna say like I feel like I'm not that smart compared to the people I surround myself, which is the best way I think to live life. Because you get smarter. And my wife is, like, the, one of the smartest people I know. So I, I listen to her and, you know, other people in my close circle. And basically, in my 30s now, I'm like, I know, I can tell who's not super great. And yeah, when you meet someone like Orion or yourself or Brennan, um, you're just like, I want to keep talking to them. Which, by the way, Brennan, sign her up for the next few years for her graphic novel. <laughs> <laughs> Signing, okay. For people Signing, listening. Yes. <laughs> for people who aren't just listening. Brennan is holding a pencil and pretending to write things down. <laughs> oh, excellent. I, yes. I love your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> he just dotted the air, licked the tip of the pencil, and dotted the air. There's not what? even paper here. <laughs> <laughs> not to drag this out, but I find it so strange that there are people that are are writers that just aren't great people because like for me as a as a writer I I think if you have empathy, like you need that. You need to be a good person. I thought to be able to write good people and stuff. It's crazy. No, no. you need to know how to manipulate. I'm not, look, Mercedes. I'm naive. <laughs> you you were so darling. <laughs> I sweet honey child. I used to work with sociopaths. So. Oh, good God. <laughs> My wife's a social worker, and I. I'm not going to get into her stories because that's not my place, but um, I couldn't do it. <laughs> not at all. That's originally what I planned to go to school for. It was social work. Really? And, yeah. What, um, it, what, what was the specific field that you had in mind? I wanted to work with children. Okay. That makes sense. It, 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 it does. Um, it ended up falling through for different reasons. I ended up going to a different school, and um, part of it was because um, – well, I had just broken up with this guy that I really, really liked a lot, really had loved, but just wasn't good for me. And um, when I moved up to the school, I had my apartment and everything. And he was like, well, we're going to get back together. I'm going to move up there with you. And I was like, ah, oh, because I loved him. So I knew that we would end up married and that would just be bad. So I like fled to a different school where I ended up living next door to my husband now. Oh, he wasn't at the time. I wasn't that weird. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I ended up changing my major and all this stuff. But I don't think I would have had... I don't think I could do it. I can't let things go. Like my husband can compartmentalize, you know, like, Oh, today was a really bad day. Okay. I'm going to shut that drawer. And now I'm home with my family. And I, I can't like, I, I, I take everything with me. And I told you, I used to work at, with sociopaths. I worked at a um, home for male juvenile sex offenders. So oh, they man. were kids that were offenders, but also abused. And it was just, I couldn't, I couldn't shut that off. Like mm. it, it's, it's still there, you know, 20 years later, like it's just, so 
I think your wife is amazing that she does. Oh, that. You, you would love you would love her. You would get along with her so well. We should when, have it when COVID ends. I'll be down for that. When I complain to her about the dumbest shit, I'm such a big man, man baby bitch about most stuff. <laughs> I'll I'll happily admit it, and um, she'll just look at me like, "What are you talking about? This is this doesn't affect me." Yeah, you know, she. she I'll just say this one part. She, I, I complain about something. She goes. I've seen people OD every day for a certain amount of time. Like this doesn't affect me. And and in my head, like I laughed initially because that's my natural reaction. But in my head, I'm like, you're just. I feel like that's awful that anyone would have to see that. Um, so basically, I'm gonna reel this back to horror in the sense where no, I you're feel horror right now. Oh, that's true. Real horror. I feel like at the end of the day, dealing with all the shit that everyone's dealt with. How aren't people nicer? <laughs> How has the pandemic treated you? It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Um, I know. I don't mean to laugh at that. Again, that's my natural reaction. <laughs> that was fucked up. <laughs> Brennan, take over. <laughs> it's been really hard. What's hardest, I think, is the whole divisiveness because at the beginning when the pandemic started, I felt like everyone was like, okay, we're going to bake sourdough and we're going to, you know, everything was free to like come to the, the museum, the virtual tours. And, you know, here's a musical and we're going to release it. And I felt like everybody was um, being so thoughtful and careful and loving. And then it was like, we just got bored and then we got mean. And um, it's, it's scary. And, and my kids are super high risk. I'm high risk. Um, and so to us, like if, if you're not wearing your mask, that's, it's, it's, it's pretty likely that, you know, we will, if we catch it, we'll suffer. So we've been very, we were in quarantine, like strict quarantine for four months. Um, and then I went to go visit, um, a friend, um, and kind of say goodbye to her father. And, um, I actually went to the airport and to go from quarantine to the airport, like, it was terrifying, right? And nobody cared. People weren't wearing their masks. People were, you know, making fun of people wearing masks. People were, you know, wearing masks and, like, why aren't you wearing your mask? And it was just, it was very ugly. And mm. I don't like that. I think the ugly is coming out. And I, I, I'm, I'm hating that. Um, on the flip side, um it's been really nice to see my husband who used to work insane hours and was never home. And we'd had a conversation like before the pandemic, like I'm like, you're a, you're a bystander in your kids' lives. Like you're just gone a lot. And it's work requires so much of people. There's no sense of balance. Um, and so having him home has been really nice. My uh, daughter in middle school hasn't worried about being shot at school for a couple months, which is just heart wrenching that that's a concern. Jeez. But it is a concern. She's like, Mom, I don't know how to climb a fence. What if there's a shooter and I can't climb the fence? And I'm like, we will go practice on fences. You know what I mean? Like, that's not right. Right? And so, and... That's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It it hurts my soul. And it hurts my soul that people won't take, take action. And they're reopening the schools in August. And I feel like they're just pointing in our faces and saying, you're expendable and you're expendable and your children are all expendable. It's it's ugly to me. I'm, I feel like I'm seeing a side that I wish I could turn a blind eye to, but I can't. I feel like people are just letting their ugly flag fly. Um, 
other than that, it's been really good to spend time with my kiddos. Um, and we've been trying to find things to kind of look forward to. Like we did quarantine Um, Oh, Hey, here comes one now. I, I hear the doorknob rattling. Um, so we did like a Halloween party in the middle of quarantine and we dressed up and our friends all dressed up and we showed pictures and, and we did um, Christmas in July um, and we made like little handmade gifts. Like um, I made this little, these little bunnies for all the kids and it was super, um, we make a, um, stockings out of paper and decorate the tree and it's just super low key and what Christmas should be without all the, you know, buy, buy, buy and consumerism. Mm. So we've been trying to do things like that, but I, um, I would like a room to myself. You know, this is the longest I have been without a child because they're scared and they're constantly scared and they're on my lap and they're close and they want that physical comfort. And, um, it's hard sharing my workspace, which is the kitchen table because my husband is doing all his work and he's, you know, his work is number one priority because we all live off of what he brings home. So he's on his conference calls, whatever. We're all quiet. You know, my daughter's been doing school. My son's doing school. So they're at the table. I'm coming in like third, like if there's time keeping them quiet, doing this, getting their school, doing all that, that's when I sneak in and do my writing. And it's kind of painful to realize that in the, or the, the hierarchy, my stuff comes in last because I want it to be higher, but realistically it does come in last and I don't sleep much at night. So I can, I can write at night, you know, or whatnot, but it's like a lot of painful realizations. It's very, I'd like to keep my head in the sand about people and people are mean and cruel and awful and terrible. And Vegas, um, I live in Vegas with the, um, rioting that we had on, um, we had gunshots and a U.S. Marshal that got shot in the head and all sorts of stuff. And, and my daughter's like, wow, there are a lot of fireworks. And I'm like, sweetheart, you know, I'm not, I wasn't going to be the one to tell her those aren't fireworks. You know, it's, it's, you know, very, we actually went and visited my in-laws for a week, um, which was scary coming out of quarantine, but which one do you, you know, you're hearing people get shot in the head or you go and maybe face a virus. What do you, what do you choose? You know, it's very, um, and it's been hard creatively, create creatively, <laughs> creatively, <laughs> whatever. Creatively. <laughs> yes. creatively. <laughs> That's actually very appropriate. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't think, but you know, I can't think it's hard to make stuff. It's hard to word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's been hard to, to work and concentrate and stuff. Like, I don't know if you guys had that kind of complete, I don't understand what I'm doing. I'm just like kind of floating through like that trauma response that everybody's kind of been having. And I was reading stuff and it's like, this is a response to trauma. You know, we're all on edge. We're all worried. You know, we have all these things going on. We're, we have this, this new normal and we don't know what the new normal is going to be. And it's like, we can't function and think and just like not being able to get food panicked me, you know? And, you know, all this different stuff. It's, it's weird. And I don't know. It's It's been crazy. It, it just, it was like, it started out here and everyone is okay. And then it went, and yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm afraid it's going to be like civil war over whether you wear a mask or not. The, the thing that makes me so honestly fucking pissed is the piece of shit that runs the country is a blatant racist piece of shit. And there's so many people and guess what? They're almost all white that are like, 
he's for us, he's for America, he's got Paul. It makes me so mad. I'm like, am I in a dystopia where so many millions of people are cool with this? Like a little weird version of Orange Hitler? I don't get it. it it's so sad. We got a pandemic. We got blatant, a systematic issue with black and people of color. And then you got a guy that's a leader, and, and, and we're taking down statues of pieces of shit that should have never had statues. Flags that are getting banned that should have never, like, of a confederacy that separated themselves from this country. Like, not, why? This doesn't make sense. My head hurts for thinking. It, yeah, it, I, and, and there's no, there's no clear leadership. No. There's no clear, you know, there's no clear leadership and, and this state's going to open and this state's not. And we were the last school district to close in the the country, you know, and we actually pulled our kids out of school before they closed. And it's just kind of like, no one knows what's going on. You go here and it's this and you go here and it's that. And it's like, I just need, you know, that decisive, shut this thing down, let it run its course. Other countries are doing it. Why can't we look out and see what's going on? Take the data and figure it out. You know, it, it's just weird to have like all this like infighting over stupid things when there are so many big things going on right now. You know? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And that it's all happening at once. You know? Yeah, that's the weirdest <laughs> part. My biggest fear in the beginning, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do if formula runs out? I'm like, well, where do I go if it's all out? And I right. couldn't get on Amazon for a little bit. We were fine. But it was – that was scary. And six people that I love, uh, family members, um, all in a secluded area in Massachusetts got corona. They're fine now. One was a two-year-old girl. Oh, that geez. was scary. They're all yeah. fine. They're all fine now. But I, I, I think of that. And then you talked about the schools opening. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? You're going to have millions of kids get killed. And what's the long-term effects – if you get corona, what's it going to do to your innards? Is it is it going to come back and bite you in the ass? Because we don't know enough about it. Yeah, no. and that, that's what drives me crazy. Is people like like counting that? Well, only so many percentage die, and it's like death isn't the only issue. No. You know, no, it's worse. And I, I kind of feel like because you know I've seen my kids on struggling to breathe with different issues. I feel like the people that are like so cavalier about it. I'm like, have you never had a kid in 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 NICU? Have you never had a kid in, you know, have you (laughs) never had a kid on the dialysis floor? Like, why are you so horrible and so willing to let other people suffer? And then I'm like, wait, because there are people that I love that are on that side of the, the ravine that love me and love my kids and would never want them to hurt. And so I'm like, okay, how do I, I don't want to knee jerk. How do mm. I be that knee jerk person? Because right. this person that believes differently than I do, I love them and they love me. Why can I not calm myself down? And then I'm like, well, it's because I've been in the house for four months. <laughs> you know, <laughs> come on. The only thing I can relate to, and maybe this is a gross analogy, but like when I first had my son, um, I don't know how common this is. We almost were, there was a moment when they said you might have to leave um, your son here and you'd have to go home for a day. And my wife and I, we didn't know what to do. We, like, yeah. what am I going to do? Take my kid out of the hospital, fight? Him? What the fuck do you do? So he was fine. But that's nothing compared to what you just said. But that scared, that was probably the scariest thing in my life. And I, 
even if I hate someone, there are people that I don't like. I would never want them to go through that, and I'd never be mean to them. There's so many ugly colors coming out, and I don't know if it's that we're getting older and we're seeing it more blatantly, or if it's that we're more um, connected, but I hope it doesn't get worse. Yeah, I, I think it will. I think it will get worse. I think it's really important that we try and boost the positive vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is that we're connected. Because, I mean, I didn't know how somebody in Australia felt before. You know, right. I only knew what happened in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I know it's happening everywhere. And I don't think our brains are meant to process so much information. No. You know? We're not meant to like, you know, we're not meant to like not sleep at night because we're taking information. We're not meant to not be exercising because we're doing it at the computer. It's like we are just killing ourselves like with this oversaturation of all this information that we don't know how to parse. We're just not created for it. You know, we're not computers. And it's just kind of trying to find a balance. I was talking to my husband about that because he is my, he is my touchstone, you know? And, and I'm like, I am so angry all the time. Like, I don't want to be an angry person, but I'm so mad that so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that. And he's like, you don't have to listen to that. You can like turn that off. And I'm like, what? You know, but then I'll miss out. (laughs) Then FOMO, the fear of missing out. And he's like, you don't have to see all this all the time. Like, I feel like I have to bear a witness in some way, you know? Mm. And I went to this really interesting, a virtual town hall, and it was titled like, um, if all lives matter, then black lives matter. And it, and the, the woman that, that, um, was teaching it was this like wonderful, um, African American. Um, I, I don't remember if she was a psychologist. I want to say she was a psychologist, but she said, you know, you need to watch that video, um, of Floyd and you need to watch the whole thing. She says, you have to watch the whole thing. You can't look away from it because we can't look away from it. You have to watch it. And I didn't want to because, you know, and I, I did. And I cried through the whole thing. It was so hard. And she was like, you need to bear witness. And sometimes we do. And sometimes I feel like maybe we do need to take that step away. Like, I can watch the whole thing later. I can't watch that whole thing right now. You know, mm-hmm. and I have to function for my kids. And I have to, you know, pull it together. So it's like everything's so weird and crazy and wild and awful and horrible. But we still have to function i mean i'm at the point kind of where i just want to curl into a ball and like a feel i can't it's overwhelming so how do you work forward you know how do you what do you work on what do you do to add a little bit of light to this cesspool you know and, and it's like i don't want to say manners have gone by the wayside but it used to be that people would hold back what they would say and, and nobody does that anymore there there's no you know etiquette anymore it's screaming like who can out scream and that's just negative and doesn't do anybody any good because if someone's screaming at me I'm not going to listen to them and no one's going to listen to me if I'm screaming at them it's when it's a quiet moment and it's like hey would you talk to me about this that's when I learn and other people learn but it's like it's not oh you scream so loud now I changed my mind you know but nobody I don't know man I mean let's serial killers are easier you know (laughs) it's just let's go back to what we know I don't know it's just it's crazy. I agree. I find myself obsessed with uh, Twitter, and I don't like that because I've met a lot of friends. You, me, became a friend. Me, Brendan became a friend through it. So that's the cool part. Me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, is just like you said, oversaturation of data. Um, I wish that there was a, a switch in my head where I could be like, nope, done for the night, because I wake, I wake up and I'll look at the messages and shit. 
Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I just want to, I find myself, right, recently, and I got to fix this, not reading books and not doing stuff with my family because I'm looking at my phone. Like, stop. Right. That's my biggest problem, and I can't, I got to work on that myself, and it's it's a bitch. I hate it because, like, I get myself, I see someone recently, the Washington Redskins NFL team, they're t- changing the name because why, why, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, I don't think I am. Why the hell was it that name in the first place? And then you got a bunch of people saying how, um, basically, I'm I'm not becoming a fan anymore. I'm leaving because of the name change. And it's the same thing to me about people like the, the Confederate flag, how they're getting rid of it in NASCAR. And it, it's just I'm like, you're all a bunch of white racists. Like why? And why am I talking to you? I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change mine. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Right. And then it's like why. Why do you matter to me? Like, why do you matter? That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the people that do matter and the things that do matter. So something that I have done that has really helped my life is there's this book on, on, or this group on Facebook called the book democracy. And it's a, a book club. And my favorite thing about it is that you can sign up at the end of the month and they will give you uh, either a bingo card, a tic-tac-toe card or a connect four card, depending, depending on how many books you want of like random book prompts for you that are generated. And then you read those prompts. So it's like um, a book with a white cover or a book with a, a black by a black author or a book that the author's last name starts with an L or, you know, so you're kind of mm. forced to go out and find different books that are different maybe than what you would normally read and things like that. And so I found myself reading a lot more than, than I have been. And I'll be like, okay, do I want to like totally stress about this, you know, thing that I really can't control? I can control my tiny sphere. I can teach my children to be good people. We we can discuss these things. You know, I can talk with my friends or people of like minds, or I can listen to like, you know, someone defending Epstein, whatever, you know? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so, do they believe that the world is flat too? You know, let's, it's just like, uh, you know, I, I don't need to tell everyone that they're wrong on the Internet. And I try not to. But <laughs> but I, I found that by having this like card of like, you know, things to read, I've been spending so much more time reading and it has been so much better for my soul. Like just <laughs> like, for example, here's my my July card, you know, so it's like um, set in the USA. Um, a taboo subject rated four stars and up, you know, has an adaptation. And then when you, you turn them in, you write when you finished it and they'll like cross them off for you that the mm. admin will. And then you get like your bingo and then you get entered for prizes. But for That's me, That's pretty cool. It is. It's the book democracy. Um, I think everybody should join. There's like 4,000 for there's a zillion people in there, but it's like that has made my life better because I'm like, I'm going to sit down and read a book. And I'm going to read a book that expands my mind or I'm going to read, you know, something that will comfort me or I'm going to read something that's just awful and feel great about my writing or whatever it is. <laughs> and um, it just I need to find things to take myself out of that cesspool because I find myself wading in thinking that I'm somehow going to make it better. And I'm not, you know, I'm not not in that way. I have my own little sphere. That's where my influence is. It's not going to be out in the great wide yonder. That's true. Brendan, I'd love to hear what you have to say about any of this. About yeah. any see, you know, I have this uh th- this bad habit of forgetting that I'm supposed to be co hosting this silly thing and just kind of getting lost in guest thoughts. Um and that's 
you know, that's for, for anybody who hasn't heard my voice in like 20 minutes, that's where I've been. Um, and just kind of lost you know, Mercedes, you are currently like broadcasting empathy from Las Vegas. I'm feeling it here in Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, there's no nice way to say this, so I'm sorry, but I can see why you maybe thought social work wasn't for you. It's you, I can tell just from listening to you speak on this variety of subjects that you just, you feel very, very deeply and you get entrenched in, in this day to day. The only thing I would put in, and I don't think it's really adding much to the conversation is I think just so much of, I'll say, I, I agree with what you were saying about how we just hit a turning point after two months, let's say. And I think that's because there was this idea that, will that it would last about six weeks eight weeks and then we would be able to come out of it and it it didn't happen and you know definitely part of that is the people who didn't want to be locked down in the first place but after that it just there's there's no end in sight you know it's even if we were able to get everybody locked down right this minute legitimately we'd we'd be starting from scratch we really would and it's not gonna happen it should but it's not um, and it, it boils down to selfishness. Um, it boils down to, uh, kind of singular viewpoints, you know, whether you're talking about the virus, well, I, if I get it, it probably, you know, won't affect me adversely. So I don't care if I get it or I don't believe in it. So, you know, th- th- there's not much more of a selfish reaction than refusing to wear a mask. At the end of the day, it's, you are either you either know you're helping to save a life or prevent you know it from spreading or even if you don't believe it you're wearing a fucking mask for 15 minutes you can you, you'll survive the experience i promise you you can go into walmart you can get your goddamn twinkies and you will come out the other side just fine um but even to the you know the protests and stuff well you know i don't experience racism so it doesn't exist it's just that singular selfish viewpoint and to bring it all back to what you what you kind of came to is there's no volume i can yell at that those people are going to listen uh there's there's no fact i can throw at them that they haven't heard that they're willing to pull in and allow to change your mind and that that's all i'll say on that that's excellent and you look so much like Chris Pratt. It's so weird. <laughs> I have literally, that would be Parks and Rec, Chris Pratt, not uh, not Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt. I was. <laughs> you know, I, I promise last thing on this subject. <laughs> I've reached a point where with social media and in real life with loved ones that I care about that. It's weird to worry like this, but they're not racist, but they won't listen where I've tried calmly saying what white privilege is. I'm like, it's a real thing. This is why it matters. This is why every fucking state has major protests. This is why every place, every major city in the world has protests for Black Lives Matter. I just get, fuck you, sit down. I'm, and I feel like there's a toxic masculinity uh, alliance with it, too, where if you're a white dude that looks like me or Brian, they're just like, it's just going to call you names. So... It's just so tiring. I just want to read books, talk to fun people, and uh, see my little boy laugh. <laughs> That's about yeah. it. Maybe have a beer or two. <laughs> I, I 
think that's worth it. I think, I think it's really important to grab those good moments and remember what we are fighting for. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, I'm still going to go and do what I can safely to, to protest harm. You know, I, have joined groups that have taught me how to, you know, write my senator. I've never written my legislative, you know, legislators before. I've never done that. And now it's like weekly, you know, just do this. And I'm a member of this group. um, It's called MWAG. It's um, Mormon Women for Ethical Government. And I love it that it's nonpartisan, but it's also like peaceful change. And that's really important to me is I don't want to be someone out there whipping up those flames of like anger because they're already so whipped, but they're teaching kind of how to like, okay, you can, you know, you can, you can do it in this way. You can do it in this way. And, um, I believe, you know, I'm going to anger a lot of people with this, but I'm not surprised that the protests got violent. And I think that people were trying to be peaceful Mm -hmm. and there's just a point where peaceful protest just doesn't work anymore. You know, and I think that it, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. And that people were so tired of not being heard. And I'm all for peaceful protests. That absolutely is my, um, what I would wish for. But it doesn't surprise me that things, you know, you, you can only like tell someone to be peaceful and be quiet and be nice so many times. And it, and I can see why people absolutely erupted and, and, and stuff like that. I think it's very um it's been coming for a really long time, right? And um, uh, I'd say since the founding of the country, some <laughs> a few hundred years. <laughs> so, although I would wish, you know, that people wouldn't have been hurt and things wouldn't have been damaged, you can't have a revolution without you can't quietly protest and have people ignore you for so many years and not have it come to a head at some point. But that's not my place to, you know, do that. I myself and, and maybe it is the empathy and you're right, Brendan, like I, I hurt. Like I can't I can't there's no bubble, there's no white light around me that protects me from, you know, the emotions and the feelings that I have. I can't put it away. And so for me, you know, the writing and the um the helping people figure out how to you know, get access to voting and things like that. Those are things that I can do that I feel that I'm making a positive contribution that, that, that I feel like I'm not just sitting on my hands. I don't know, but I hate that I have to be, I, I hate that I have to do that. I hate that I have to set aside time every day to be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, try and make the world be a little bit less of a cesspool kids. So, you know, <laughs> we're going to make sure that everyone has access to voting. We're going to make sure that, you know, we're going to figure this all out. And I don't know. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just tired. You know, how and important is like- it to 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 set that example for them? I mean, I've had uh, a, a lot of difficult conversations in the last you know couple months with my kids, and I really feel like I I am the better for it. Um, for having taken that time to really kind of hash out my own feelings on the matters in order to try and explain it to a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old. Um, and I feel like they are the empathetic boys, the empathetic people that I, I, I hope to see populate the world in, in 10, 15 years. Yeah, I think that I think the next generation is going to save us. 
you know, <laughs> they really are, they really are empathetic. They really are very, very good and very tender. I had, we had a really bad experience this last week where someone I love dearly, that's a family member. Um, my son's in an extended school year class during the summer to kind of just help him kind of be, uh, catch up on things and not forget what he learned during the year and things like that. And it's just, you know, virtual zoom. So I'm sitting there next to him and it's, it's kind of wearing, um, but he's the only white kid in his class. Everybody else is of different ethnicities. And, um, this person that I love very dearly in the family saw that and said that I should send him to school in a white lives matter t-shirt to protest (laughs) and like, not a malicious person, but like, right, you know, right. look, like is is are they being racist to him? And and I was just like, <laughs> how do you even address that? You know, like and I They're did kids. very gently. Yeah. But I mean, no, the, the person was an adult that said it. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm, I'm, in general, that's yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's that's oh, my no. initial thought is they're they're kids and. Uh, of of their own volition, they're not reflecting any of that. They're only they're they're pure. <laughs> yeah. Not only are they children, they're all children with special needs. And I'm like, you know, if if he's in a this, I'm like, this is a this is a very wonderful, safe classroom. And don't you dare say anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that's just like, and it was just like it's so it was so wearying. Like, just. <laughs> just so wearying like I don't know but I guess the end all is try and be as good of a person as you can and we all make mistakes like every day you know and, and different things and different experiences that we don't share and and we try and learn about them and accept with grace when other people make mistakes as we hope that they accept when we make mistakes and I don't know just try and make the world a little bit better and that sounds so naive but I believe we can do it you know I believe there are a lot of us that are really quietly doing the good thing I think the people that are loudest tend to be the people that are angriest and the people that are doing the good thing quietly just don't draw as much attention to themselves you know like I'm gonna go out and be helpful you know you don't you just go you know go love somebody you just you don't announce it and I think that's a huge anyway I, I I love your hopeful attitude. Um, <laughs> I, I I think you know, um, regardless of what anybody believes, if we can change the world, I think we have a duty to put in whatever we can. Again, whether it's talking to our kids, whether it's writing our senators, or whether it's getting out in the streets and trying to affect change, I, I think we it, uh, we of this mindset uh, we have that duty. I agree, hundred percent. Very beautifully said. I'm really curious to see where art is taken in the next ten years, as far as art. I mean, fit, like paintings, uh, bands, um, writers, filmmakers. Uh, you know, something crazy is going to come out of it. There's probably going to. You said it perfectly. I believe this isn't just a movement of protesters. I have referred to it too as a revolution because it is. Because guess what, motherfuckers. There's real shit that's wrong with what's going on. Like, I'm not sure what's right anymore. I hope I don't get flashed for this, but, like, they talk about tearing down the Ulysses S. Grant statue. I'm like, yeah, he did a lot of cool shit. And then you learn he did a lot of bad shit. So I'm like, I'm not going to start talking about stuff that I don't know. I mean, I only know what I was taught. But if someone's going to be like, hey, listen, you should probably know this about 
if someone's going to tell me, like we were going back to Joe Meinhardt, um, he's someone you can rely on. You know he's a good guy. If he were to say, hey, maybe you should know this. Like, I'm not going to be like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> right. I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to be like, you know what? Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> right. Right. I'm willing to listen, and I'll listen to somebody that I love and that I trust. I won't yeah. listen to, you know, some weird rando screaming at me in the street. Like, that's not going to, you know. Like, how'd you, how'd you find my Twitter account to yell at me? Like, that's not, you know, but like, if you guys were to say something because I, you know, you're decent, not complete jerks. I'm trying to keep my language like really nice Um, (laughs) because you're, you're decent down to earth men. If you say, Hey, this, I'm much more willing to to listen to that than some like, you don't know who I am, but you know, like, (laughs) that's the master plan. We uh, build your trust in our so now we can lay our ridiculous theories on you. Hey, great. We're going to have a new utopia, right? You guys are going to be the gods, right? Yeah. Um, oh, my Lord. wife will put me in my place real quick if I even say that. <laughs> awesome. So your wife is definitely going to be in charge. She's my god. So, something you were saying about art, like, I think it's really interesting. Have you guys heard of... Um, I'm trying to think of the name. I think I want to say it's called 37 questions or 36 questions. It's a, it's a musical, you know, podcast format. And it's like Jonathan Goff from like Hamilton and mind Hunter and all that. Um, but it's, it's a podcast musical and it's just two people and they just are singing back and forth. But let me find the name for that. That yeah, is I'm trying to Google perfect. it right now. Yeah. Mm. 37, 36 questions podcast, two yeah, productions, uh, starring Jonathan Groff yeah. and Jessica Shelton, a couple attempts to bring their marriage back from the brink of divorce using 36 <laughs> revealing questions designed to make strangers fall in love. Yes. Brennan, is this about us? <laughs> it is. You guys are What so a sp- weird thing to say. Um, I, I, uh, I, 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 no, I've never heard it. I've never heard of it. But if it has uh, Jonathan Groff singing in it, I just may check it out. He he is amazing. He's I just I love him so much. But um, I think that was really cool because when that came out, you know, it came out before COVID. But it's like an absolutely new format of music that we've never heard before, you know. So I believe with like all of this going on, we're going to find different ways to do things. You know, art cannot be silenced. <laughs> like we cannot, you know, what I'm not looking forward to are all the pandemic stories that are going to come out. Yeah. You know, like everyone's like, okay, well, my my poetry collection about the pandemic and my my poetry cl- and my my novel about the pandemic. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I'm not going to edit anything for a magazine or a <laughs> anthology for quite some time until all those die down because I just don't want to read them. How are they going? How are they going to be different? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, I was working on. I put. Oh no! Oh no! no. It's not. It's not pandemic. <laughs> I was it's working like on editing one... on an anthology about lake stories. No, 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 no. <laughs> right? All Who would state? do that? Yeah, I know. Ridiculous. In the beginning of this year, I was working on like an apocalypse type thing that was different, and I won't go into details about it. But then this all happened. I'm like, huh, let's put that in the back burner. <laughs> <laughs> How about a superhero story about the pandemic? <laughs> so, that sounds like hell. <laughs> How about 15 books of it? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, yeah, I meant to ask you about trilogies. So Ken McKinley gave us a really... Do you know Ken McKinley? He's a um, publisher of Silver Shamrock? Yes, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, so um, he had a really interesting thing to say about trilogies. Um, I'm just curious, because you've been around the block as a writer. Um, I asked him, I'm like, well, I forget how I worded it, but I basically said, like, what's your thoughts on them? Um, series. And he said, basically, unless you have an established name, I'd avoid it. Publishers probably aren't going to buy a trilogy from someone unless you have a, a clear readership. I'm I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that for really any way you want to take it. That's interesting because I would say the exact opposite. I would say that um, because when you have a trilogy and each succession, each book in succession comes out, um, people will go back and pick up your first book so that they so they sell really well because they kind of drive you back to that picking up that first and second book and you know. Hmm. Um, and then they kind of, I've always been told that that is the way to go. Um, and that people are more interested in, in trilogies and series and standalones, um, because they're hoping to either make you a name or it kind of like, they've got their, um, schedule, their publishing schedule. Well, there they are, they're set. They know that this is going to come out. And, um, I hear that they're supposed to be really great money makers. So I know that Joe had told me that, um, by buying a trilogy, like he he, he would be nice. He, he thinks it would be nice if I would maybe finish my trilogy too, since Crystal Lake is the one that okay. the first one's published under. Um, but he's like sells pick up with like the second and third book, like the first one kind of comes out and then. But yeah, so that's interesting because that's backwards from what I've always been taught. But seeing as I technically don't have a trilogy, I don't know. Well, hey, speaking of Todd, he's got a trilogy coming out next year uh, with Bloodshot. <laughs> no, but if we can't talk about that real quick, I'm super psyched because I love the Matrix trilogy. People shit on the third movie all the time. I like it, but I haven't seen um, it. I've seen the first, and the first was loved it. Um, I mean, I like it, but um, he said basically it's his version of the Matrix to some extent, and I'm just like, uh, give me the book i'll give you my money and we'll call it a deal um he's coming out with that next year uh, i know he's working on the third one right now for was it bloodshot books is that the publisher I, Pete I, Kale? Think, I think bloodshot is the one that's putting that out silver shamrock's the one that put out what devil's creek or scam lines i don't know i can't keep todd the almighty todd publisher straight <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so I would love to tackle a book that we were talking about before we recorded because I wanted to record it. Uh, what is it? Um, you said you wrote a book on likable serial killers. What is what is it called? <laughs> it's called Apoc- Apocalyptic Montessa and Nuclear Lulu, A Tale of Atomic Love. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> So, no. <laughs> that's a crazy title. It rolls right off the tongue like that. <laughs> I mean, I, it has a ring to it. <laughs> It actually won the Stabby Award. Let me show you. I have the Stabby hanging right here. So it won the award. um, So for people that are just listening to the show, because this is this is an audio show, but it'll we'll have a video version of it too. So can you explain what the Stabby Award looks like? Well, it's this great medieval dagger that is very sharp. Um, I have it hanging on the wall by my door in case I need to like beat somebody with it. Um, and it has the title of the book and my name engraved on it. And That's it's just, fucking cool. Oh, my God. Awesome. And so it's from Reddit. So when the book came out, Reddit can't agree on anything, but they agreed that I deserved a, a knife for that book. So it made me really happy. Wait, Reddit's got an award? 
right? Who knew? Yeah, the Stabby. <laughs> it's called the Stabby Award. So wait, I got a question. Do they they mail out weapons? <laughs> they do. You know what? Oh my god, that's so weird. <laughs> Let me just calmly take this big dagger hanging off my wall, just like right here. It's up high so the kids can't reach it. Look, I, I I don't mean this sarcastically, but you're a great mom. So I I think at the end of the day, no, seriously, like you you get shit done. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, because like I don't know any writer that thinks that they're ever doing enough. But um, I think at the end of the day, I meant to comment way earlier that your kids are gonna be young for so long. So like you want them to remember, mom was always there for me, or dad, whatever. Um, but mostly mom, because she's the greatest. I'm sorry. That's what I want my kids to remember. (laughs) And from the time we've been talking, it feels like uh, you're just a, I really mean this as a compliment. I don't because you're not, I don't think you're even much older than me, but you come on very motherly figure like, and you just, I know, write some horror. (laughs) That's a little bit, to say the least, underline that. So it's a really cool um, parent. I love it. It's Thank you. It's like, The only other person I can, on the top of my head, relate you to is Laurel Hightower. Um, super awesome mom. Writes some really, <laughs> really heartbreaking shit that makes you cry. Well, you know, I think moms can do that. Like parents, the yeah. worst thing that can happen to you is to lose a kiddo, I would think. Yeah, you know? I would think so. And, and writers and creators, we're, we have to be close to those emotions if we want to create something really good, you know. But um, I wrote this story. It's called Little Dead Red. It's the one that won the Bram Stoker Award, and it's about it's a retelling of the little of Little Red Riding Hood. But it's about it's from the mom's point of view when her daughter goes to like take soup to grandma at the nursing home and never makes it there because she's she's killed. And um, it's about the mom trying to like hunt down this this wolf that um had murdered her daughter because they found her they found Little Dead Red in pieces, and it's just like you tap into that scary part of you, you know, that fills those things that you kind of try and put that wall between. I don't really have a wall, you know, I try, but it's, it's always close. Like I'm always afraid of losing my kiddos with Nico, my son with Williams syndrome. One day we're just going to lose him. It's just going to, it's his heart will go up. It's probably what it's going to be. Um, we know that. And it's, I, I live with that like every day that, you know, one day just, that's going to be the end. You know, we, um, my, my littlest daughter was a triplet and we lost the the other two. And so it's like, you know, you just, you have to prepare because that loss is always right there. And I find that I write about that a lot. I wrote this book, this, this story is a short story after we lost the triplets called black Mary. And it's about these. And I didn't realize this at the time, but it's about these three little girls and they're all named Mary because it's, this uh, pedophile has kidnapped this little girl and he calls them all Mary. And there are these three little girls and like two of them are like real or not real. You're not really super sure. And then they're trying to get this last remaining real flesh and blood Mary to try and escape this, this guy, you know, but you always just like use your relationship to, to work through, you know, work through it. It's, it's just a way to, it's a way to process and it's a way to process in a way that other people can, understand it but it's also like i feel like we don't talk about stuff a lot and when we write about it it's a way to talk about it and not am i this like weird glowing face in the darkness because it's getting dark here 
Um, I'm, I see my picture and it looks like here's my hands and there's like nothing in there. <laughs> <laughs> For people just listening, this may be weird, but she is literally glowing in the dark, blinding me and Brennan. Okay. Like, <laughs> I do have a light. Let me find it. Mm, that's not it. Brilliant. That's a little better. So I, I, I agree. I would. Uh, so I'm sorry. Pat. No, no. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Um, I, if this is if this is personal, I apologize. But I work with kids with uh, Williams syndrome, and they are just love incarnate. You do um, not not exclusively, but I, I teach music lessons, Would and you, oh, um, yeah. a lot of kids with Williams syndrome are very innately musical, um, very auditory learners, and again, they are just love incarnate they are just the sweetest people that god ever put on the earth that makes me so happy most people are so unfamiliar nico has williams syndrome and autism so he doesn't speak much and he's it's like he doesn't he doesn't fit in either world because he's both but oh that makes me so happy they are they're just so imagine like trying to teach a kid with williams syndrome not to hug somebody <laughs> yeah oh, man you know? cuz they're all like <laughs> They're very, very friendly, very friendly and very intuitive and, and no concept of stranger danger. Um, they also say that they can't uh, identify different races. Like there's no, they can't, um, they don't see differences like that. But they also don't see if like you're very angry and you make an angry face. They don't, they can't read it. So it's mm. dangerous for them, but, but they are love incarnate. They are just lights. Really yeah. loud, bouncy lights. <laughs> <laughs> well put, yes. <laughs> that uh, me. I didn't know that, Brennan. That's cool. That makes me happy. So, going to... I forget how this connects to what you were saying, Mercedes, but kind of escapism. <laughs> Just do what I do. Yell segue and then ask a completely unrelated question. All right, segue! You change the subject. <laughs> So, Brennan and I uh, read each other's stuff often, just like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And he pointed out something. He's like, you kind of escape with these stories, don't you? And, and he does, too, and we didn't realize that. And for me, my answer with quarantine, pandemic, and all that has been, a, there's really not been much change. Because due to my job, I'm, it, I work at a wastewater plant. If people don't work there... Everything will shit water will back up. So oh, man. nothing's changed for me. But still, I work at a shit plant. Like, do you think I want to smell that all the time or be around? It's disgusting. So, like, for me, fiction, especially in the pandemic, I've been saying because of that and because I got a grounding system like my family. If my son was older going crazy, that might be a different answer. But um, I love Fan, uh, I love fiction, and you said that you read bad fiction to make your um, self feel better. But I thought you were going to go in the way where you're like, I read because reading some pretty scary graphic stuff can also it makes not smile, but it makes me kind of go like, oh, that's cool. And um, it's weird to hear that from certain people. I've gotten from freelance editors when I was looking for one years and years ago. Um, why do I read horror? Because uh, he thought I liked to read about people getting hurt, and that's not the case. I thought that was weird. It's a weird perception. Um, and this is my weird, fucked up segue in. Let's talk more about serial killers. So Ted Bundy. Why? 
Why is he the? You you seem to be more um, intrigued by him than others that we've talked. I've heard you talk about. Yeah, well, Ted Bundy was local. Um, oh right, so, Seattle. For mm-hmm. you. Yeah, um, Ted Bundy was uh, of course before my time, but um, I have so many. He, um, I, I grew up in Utah. And he came, you know, down to Utah and things and, and just a whole bunch of little things like, um, the, the, my father works in a a power plant up a Canyon and in that Canyon, they had, you know, a tree where he carved his name, his, and they, I think they took that section out of the tree and, and removed it because so many people were going to take pictures with it and stuff like that. And they, they just kind of wanted to erase him. And, um, uh, I bought my wedding ring. We bought my wedding ring in the, the mall where he kidnapped the last girl, um, Carol LaRanche, who um, escaped and helped identify him in court. And um, when I was in high school, it was the same teacher, actually, that told me I need to go talk to the counselor for my poem. (laughs) Her best friend was murdered by Ted Bundy. And I remember her mentioning that one day. And it was just kind of like, you know, (laughs) and just so and so many just kind of he was everywhere. He was everywhere. And um, when we moved up to Seattle, we lived, my husband went to the same school he went to and we were, lived in the same area and just, he was kind of everywhere. And I was really, um, he's so sick. Like I, I don't get that. I don't understand the, the wanting to hurt other people. It's really, um, so what I ended up majoring in ultimately was sociology and creative writing, because I'm very interested in the way that the people think and the way that people work in groups and watching people, um, how they interact with each other. And it was intriguing to me to see how so many people didn't see what he was and, um, how, how he was like living this completely normal life with, uh, a girlfriend and a, a child that he, you know, was playing father to and all this stuff and all this was going on and nobody really seemed to know, you know, people mm-hmm. are like, well, every now and then we'd see Ted be angry. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, um, the stranger beside me by Ann rule, but no, I've heard of it. I haven't read it though. Yeah. You, you, you really should. It's really cool. She was an ex policeman and she and Ted Bundy worked at the suicide hotline together. And so she knew Ted Bundy. And I thought, I, I just, like, why would a guy that's so busy killing people work at a suicide hotline? And they're right. saying, like, he saved so many more lives than he took. And that duality just, it fascinates me. Um, and I think a lot of it also has to do with that old job I had where I was working with these kids that were victims but also perpetrators. And, you know, at least two of them were diagnosed sociopaths and um I kind of keep an eye on a couple of them now to just make sure because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure two of them are going to, I see so many serial killer traits in them. I would not be at all surprised if, you know, something like that happened, but, but that's why Ted Bundy, um, because he just crossed Sony paths, you know, and just, you know, I went to college um, in the town where he stopped at and all these things and everybody has a story about him. And my dad, like one day goes, Oh yeah, my friends found one of the bodies one day up in that canyon, and it's just like it made it real. Uh, He, I mean, they're they're all real, but they're all stories you kind of read about. And this was a guy that left footprints, Um, and he also 
there's a whole bunch of people that are like, oh, Ted Bundy's so handsome and I love him and stuff like that. And I'm very disgusted by him. Um, and I, I think coming from an area where he's like literally touched lives that are around me, you kind of get to see like all this aftermath years later, you know, and, you know, he's, he, he's fascinating. Such a, such a narcissist and so manipulative. And when he was like, Oh, I'm going to help find this, the um, green river killer. I'm going to help find. And and it wasn't any altruism at all. Like he was so willing to take lives and so eager to kill. And then um, so quick to do anything he could do to save his own life. It just, I think, I think it's a, uh, he's a fascinating study as, as a person. Like, but yeah, but we did have a rabbit. We called Ted Bunny a lot. We also called it Alexander Hamil- Hamill Bunn and Aaron Burr, Aaron Fur, like half the time. Like we just, none of our pets have names that really stay. <laughs> They're just, we call them everything. But yeah, I mean, that's why he was, he was a very, uh, he was a presence where I grew up. He just, he just was a, still a presence. It still looms large, you know, and not in that kind of, um, I'll use the I'll use the word fangirly fangirly way that a lot of people, you know, feel about it. He looms large as like, yeah, he lived and he did the, these things, and we're still feeling the repercussions years later. When when I kind of feel like a lot of it, you just kind of like, oh, they killed somebody and then they're gone. You know, that's the end of it. He, he still, people still, you know, deal with it daily. It's that's that's one of the reasons why. That's a damn good reason. And yeah, the Green River Killer. For those that don't know. He was a serial killer that was killing within uh, Ted Bundy's area in Seattle. He went after prostitutes. Um, so it's pretty disgusting through ser- social workers that I've realized that at least some cops that people I know have witnessed, uh, some cops don't give a fuck about uh, uh, sex workers. Yeah. Sex workers. Yes, thank you. Um, so he is convicted of four. The Green River Killer is convicted of 49. He admitted, uh, confessed to 71, but he seems to be connected to over 100. And, um, that's he was getting attention. Um, I think that's why Ted Bundy started saying, Hey, guess what? He played Hannibal Lecter because he was getting attention taken away from him. He was locked away in a prison. Um, it's yeah. cr- it's crazy. And also, I'll help you find them if you don't kill me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, I I do want to sh- I do want to share my uh, Gary Ridgeway, who's the Green River Killer story. So when we had moved to Seattle, um, we were going there while my husband was going to school, and um, they caught Gary Ridgeway like while we were in the city, and it was just this like, Holy you shit. know, I'd always read about the Green River Killer, but you know, and it was huge, <laughs> like like you would imagine. And they couldn't put him in the general population because, you know, you can't just like, hey, here's this guy that's been murdering, you know, people for years. And so my friend who worked in a a building with kind of a high clearance, um, they kept him in the room above the, in the second floor, I, I believe it was the second floor. They kept him in the room for a while above where she worked. And she says, you know, she's in her job. She can hear him walking around. She knows he's up there. And she's like, the floor is freaking. It's the footsteps. She knows it's him. And she said, it was just the eeriest feeling. Like he's just right there. He's so close, you know, and, and just what that was like before they figured out a, a safe place to put him. And it just like, it's so, it, it's so, was so real and so immediate. And she's like, you know, I remember her saying like, I'm thinking about all these, these women that he's done these horrible things to. 
and I'm just right downstairs. Mm. And like, it's his footsteps. Like these people aren't, uh, there's kind of like this like cult of, Oh, almost hero worship for these serial killers, which I think is gross, but they are fascinating, you know, like mm. they, they are fascinating. And the immediacy of him just like prowling around and, and her just that discomfort and sickness. It was, it, it it was an amazing story, you know? I mean, they're real. I um just finished this book that I think everybody should read. It's called The Serial Killer's Daughter. And it's by, oh, I just forgot her last name. Oh, her, the BTK her. Killer's Daughter. Yeah, The BTK Killer's Daughter. And it's um it's kind of a meandering book. Like, it, it doesn't make much sense from a writer's point of view. Kind of, you're not going to read it and be like, well, that was, you know, but it, it was very good at humanizing the family. Cause you always hear like, Oh, her family didn't know. And, you know, or, or there's Brian was Brian. The son was asleep in the car when he, he killed this person or whatever. And it's very good for her to explain kind of how the family didn't know and what they were like and what their lives were like and, and how their dad would kind of the BTK killer um, Dennis Rader would like get very angry and it was like a pot that would boil over, but the mom was really good at calming him down and saying, why don't you go outside and go fishing or, you know, go, go outside and go hunting or just get out and <laughs> just go outside. Right. But how the family kind of, you know, and then when all this came out, it talks about how the, the, this guy came to from the FBI came to the daughter and said, Hey, your, your dad's BTK is confessing right now. And she's like, what? And like blacking out, you know, and, and how she was a newlywed basically. And her husband stood by her during this and how the family, it, it was just, it's a fascinating read, you know, and, and very real. And she's like, I'm, I'm realizing this is my dad that did all these things, but I, I don't, I spent, you know, so many years with my dad and that's my dad, mm. you know, and, and it has letters back and forth between the two of them and, and how she's like, well, I love you, but plead guilty. Cause you said you did this. And he's like, well, it was just, it was just fascinating. Like the way that the, that these people's brains work in this completely different way I, I could never I mean I could never I could never kill somebody I except I you know in self-defense for my kids I, I can see that 100% but mm. I could never enjoy or delight in somebody's pain like that is the antithesis of how I am wired and so but by working in some of the places that I've worked and some of the jobs that I've had I've seen people being delighted in other people's pain I know that that's real I've seen people actively cause pain so that they can get off on it and that's like you know i know these people exist it's just it's insane and i i think about the pandemic and i think about what it's like now and now that people are coming back out because people were saying that the serial killer rate was actually going down briefly because everyone was in their homes well they're not in their homes anymore and here's somebody that's had these urges for four months that hasn't been able to do anything about it are we going to see something you know it's just that's these are, interesting. These are the top questions. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I thought was really neat about, or not neat, but uh, interesting about Gary Ridgway was when he started bringing the police officers to the drop spot. What's what it called? A, a drop spot or? Site? I mean, you don't. I don't know what the term is. Wherever the bodies were, he brought them to a goose chase for like weeks and I think months and they just got sick of it and said, look, we're done. You're going to show us or you're getting thrown away, locked away and you're not going to come out or whatever they said. And he finally showed them, but it's just very strange how like you're in a corner. We know what you did. You're aware of what you did, but you're still fucking with us acting like 
this didn't happen. It, I, I don't understand the mindset. That's why I am interested in them. Um, Edmund Kemper oh, was yeah. one that I am very fascinated by because he says every, he tells you every detail. That guy's a genius, but he's yeah. just this thing in his head that and makes so, him so different from Ridgeway, who wasn't a genius. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, that guy was a, <laughs> a moron. Um, the only one in Massachusetts in the Cape that I am aware of was in the 60s. Um, this guy named Tony Chop Chop Costa, so four to eight victims. Um, but it was he killed in this area right where it was. Um, it was near, I believe, Pro- it's called Provincetown. It's on the hook of Massachusetts. It's very like it's super. Um, gay capital i don't i don't i'm sorry if that's the wrong term but it's like very accepted it's it has been for a while um it's a big place for the hippies back in the 60s and just like the town over it's just this dude that's a carpenter and i mean he just uh, he killed a few women and buried them and he wasn't very smart so he got caught pretty quick and uh someone else two other names that i want to know if you've heard of albert fish yes. who's a Guy's a sick motherfucker. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, Brennan, but uh, he delighted in pain. He was a masochist, and he liked um, when uh, he got an X-ray. They found all these pins in his pelvis. Yeah, um, for his urethra. Yeah. He, he um also he'd have kids do that to him too, man. He um and his children they they all said that nothing had ever happened to them. He was a very protective and loving father, and like. Whether or not they're saying that and that's true, or whether or not like that, like like in the the um, serial killer's daughter, she's talking about dad was really loving, dad was really protective, dad was really you know cared for us, and how you can like just divide that, like yeah. I love you, but I don't love you, like you know what I mean? Because we we all see, I mean, you work with children with special needs in music, you are obviously the biggest teddy bear in the whole world, you two, like like. <laughs> you know how we are loving people that is the love like how do you divide that and be like how do you do that I don't you know, know. That, it, that's it's amazing to me but i do i i am i am really interested in serial killers i think a lot of people are i don't glorify them um but i think it's like it's it's intriguing it's intriguing and it's so um wrong on every level it's morally wrong there are laws against it, serial killing in pretty much every society you know it, it, <laughs> it's <laughs> like not it's, acceptable not ex- well i can't think of a i can't think of a society where you know like cannibalism is acceptable in certain societies but generally considered wrong i can't think of a society that where serial killing is like okay you know okay go do that um it's it's just it's why people would do that it just it intrigues me i just yeah. the creepiest thing to me about albert fish i forget it was like i believe the early 1900s that um there was uh advertisements for jobs no. uh through the newspaper and um he ended up convincing this mom that it wasn't through a job he, he, sorry yeah that's a little just to set the kind of the time yeah, frame he went to go hire the older boy for, yeah, yeah. For a, for a job. Um, okay. Quotes, and then met the little girl and switched switched that, victims. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and he wrote to the parents and um, just talked about how he 
like 28 and um it's yeah i'm like if i were to write a serial killer he wrote enough where you're just thinking of all the rest and that's a real situation like that's so fucked yeah how could you how could you read that letter yeah so he um roasted this little girl in a a pan and and ate her Um, and talked Talked about her romp and stuff, about eating it, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. Well, no, see, I've I, I've been letting you two go back and forth. I, I've I've talked with uh, Patrick about this before. I I don't like serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it's interesting. I think it's super interesting uh, evaluating the psyche and all that. But um, you know, it's funny because my wife and I will go back and forth because she does not like horror fiction. She doesn't like uh, paranormal. She doesn't like aliens. She doesn't like unreal uh, fiction, basically. Um, and I can't deal with the idea of like um, uh, the Night Stalker, for example, um, yeah. is a big one. She'll give me all the details she just read or heard on her podcast about the way he used to break into houses. And I don't like that. Um, <laughs> we, um, we've been watching uh, Mercedes. I don't know if you've caught it. We've been watching the, um, uh, what's the name of it? The one on, that's on HBO right now. The uh, I'll be gone in the dark. Oh, um, killer. Yep. So, you know, we were watching that last night and the episode both started and ended, edited with a uh, phone conversation of, uh, the Golden State Killer whis- whispering, almost singing, gonna kill you into the phone. And I've heard that on a podcast. No. What <laughs> twist. Well, and, and, and him, uh, you probably, probably saw, he would like re-terrorize the people over and over and over. Like he'd call them back and call them back and call them back. Like I can't, I can't even. And to, to be an ex-police officer, you know, like like it's not enough to victimize them once he has to keep calling them and reminding them that he knows where they live and just exactly, what yeah. a person shouldn't have the right to, to, to inflict so much terror on, on people. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be allowed. I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed that, um, there are so many, you know? Yeah. Um, so I live near, I work in Lake city. Uh, I live 30 minutes away. Um, there was a serial killer there that uh, maybe 10 years ago killed a few uh, prostitutes. And it just, who else? How many others? Hi. Hey. Hi. Let <laughs> me go in my house. Okay, she's going to hide under my desk. Because it's my house. Because it's her house. <laughs> we can move on to other things if you want. That's not a problem. She'll 100 percent tune out. Don't worry. She's she's heard it all, huh? There is one. <laughs> there is one more that I wanted to bring up that I'm fascinated by. Little old lady named Dorothy Puenta in uh, Cali, I believe, where she killed uh, nine confirmed, fifteen possible. So you know, there's more. Um, the way she did it was uh, she was a tiny little petite older woman. Um, she had this place that she lived and um she would kill her people that lived there with her and uh collect their uh, benefit checks and she buried the bodies she didn't live in a, a isolated area she buried the bodies in her front yard like she lives on i believe it was like some kind of main road but she's a little petite woman so there had to be someone 
Someone helped her. Mm. It's just... It's mind-boggling. It's not like you look... That's why I don't care how crazy it sounds in my head, especially if I don't know you, and you do something weird. I'm just like, yeah, you might be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Better safe. It's, uh, well, I, and, and going back to that book that I wrote about um, serial killers, like I didn't want to... I wanted to make... I wanted to write a book about serial killers where they were... Um, sympathetic which was very difficult and it was, I wrote it basically as a challenge to myself because I mean the killers are abhorrent they're abhorrent you know how how horrific and awful and so I wrote it um as a challenge to see if I could kind of do that and it it, it turned out pretty well I'm really proud of it but um that's the thing most people would respond they'd be like I felt sympathy for those serial killers I'm not sure how I feel about that and I'm like yes that means I'm I'm a good writer, but um, I tried to do that also. I wrote a short story about Jack the Ripper, where I tried to make him sympathetic for a Jack the Ripper uh, anthology, and it's called A Pretty for Polly, and that was hard because Jack the Ripper, I don't know, I, I pretty much think is not redeemable as, as an individual, <laughs> yeah. but I like I like those challenges, you know? I, I like to, you, you want to do something and turn it on its head. You want to make it different, and so to take something that you really, really hate and see if you can make it sympathetic, but within within boundaries, within parameters. There are a lot of things I wouldn't try to do that for, you know, like rapists. I could never, you know, uh, th- this was a, this was a, I felt that I could try that, but I don't know. It was, it, it was hard, but you have to realize that they're people. And it, I don't know, it, it makes you wonder, like, did society fail them? How do people not figure out what was going on you know why why and and what's frustrating is how many like slip through the cracks over and over and over or like this guy was arrested like 17 times but you know jeffrey dahmer and that 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 i think he was 13 that 13 year old boy that escaped from him Mm. ran they called the police and the police gave him back to jeffrey dahmer because jeffrey dahmer was like oh yeah that's a that's my lover and they're like "Ooh, you know we don't know anything about this this gay community that must be you know what their relationship is like we're going to hand it back and now I, f- I feel like that wouldn't happen oh no you know? no no yeah but like at, at the time just how many people slip through the cracks because of who they are you know they're sex workers that you know it's a it's a it's a gay relationship it's you know whatever and people are just kind of like uh I, i'm not familiar i don't know what's going on i'm just going to step away i feel like people now would be like yeah no you know we're, we're learning so much more about how to treat people even which which is nice even though we just spent like an hour talking about how awful the pandemic was and people's (laughs) people's shameful shameful reactions you know but it's like it's just it's crazy like i look at this world and i'm like i'm trying to make sense of it i think that's why most people create art right to just kind of can we make sense of it because if not you know what we actually hit the two hour mark so (laughs) let's we could talk to you probably for another few hours but uh we usually cut off an hour and a half to two hours. Um, Sounds great. What are you? You want to talk about maybe what you're reading right now? Yeah, um, I just started reading a book called "Be More Chill," which is a novel that they turned into a, um, a musical. And uh, oh, no yeah, yeah, the the musical is really fun. It's about this this kid that's a loser in school. His name's Jeremy. He he gets a squip. It's like a computer processor. Um, and you swallow it like a pill, and then it he can see this computer. And in his, it's it's a super cool individual. So for him, it's Keanu Reeves. 
And Keanu Reeves is like, take your hands out of your pockets. Okay, now swagger. And, and it's this squip telling him how to act and, you know, ignore your best friend because he's a, a loser, hang out with these people. Um, so I'm just starting the book because I like the musical, but the reviews about the book are like, oh, it's misogynistic and nobody, you know, the characters are all awful. So we'll see. But that's, I'm reading it for my little book tic-tac-toe and it's uh, for something that has an adaptation. So I'm reading that and I'm reading a book about auras because it has a white cover and um, <laughs> try to identify what my aura color is. I have no idea. <laughs> Let's see what else. Yeah, I just finished Devil's Creek. Oh, we haven't talked about Todd yet. What do you think of that book? Oh, you know what? There's this guy named Todd, and I like him. <laughs> I think he's a pretty good writer. My kids, so Todd, Todd reminds us of a sloth, right? Um, just because <laughs> the arms, and all my kids call sloths Todd. So they're, oh like, they're all named Todd. So, like, they'll be like, look, there's a Todd in the store, or there's a Todd on TV. So, you know, as famous as he'll become, in my children's eyes, Uncle Todd is a sloth, and will always be. <laughs> I was going to go with Eeyore, and I say that lovingly because Eeyore is my favorite. I love Eeyore, yeah. <laughs> Can I just say real quick about along those lines of, have you seen Christopher Robin, the movie that came out like two years ago? Yeah, yeah. That, I, all right, so I think you will you guys will appreciate this. Um, I love that movie, saw it in theaters. When I saw the trailer, I'm like, Tara, my, to my wife, I'm like, we got to go see this. <laughs> I like teared up during it because it's so sad during parts. But um, I showed my son the trailer today. I don't know why, I just thought of it, and his face lit up when he saw Winnie the Pooh. And every time he heard Pooh talk, he's like, his, oh. his toothless smile. I wish I got a picture to show you, but it was just, I was like, yeah, he, he's going to watch this when uh, when he's old enough. Uh, your son is such a cutie. Hold on to that beauty in the world. I mean. Oh, if I, if I don't, I'm going to, no one's going to think I'm a nice guy. I'm just going to yell at everyone. <laughs> Brandon, what are you reading? Um, I am reading The Blood Lake Monster by Renee Miller. It's uh, one of the Rewinder Die books. Um, re- really cool. It's a little deeper than the um, uh, the B-movie schlock that, um, that, th- that they're going for there. Um, it's about this uh, girl, uh, 17-, 18-year-old girl who is... Um, murder accidentally murdered by uh, some not so nice boys in her town, and right. at the same time that they basically dispose of her body in a lake, and at the same time chemicals are spilled into the lake, so she becomes kind of this almost like swamp thing seeking revenge on uh, men who are not so nice. But it's it's it like all those books because I think this is like number twelve in the series. Kind of a lot of fun, so. That was a you? fun series. Yeah. Uh, I got three. Right now I'm reading Crossroads, a novella by Laurel Hightower that you just came out. son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. Brandon's a little <laughs> sore with me because his his copy hasn't come yet. But Samantha Koyesnik came out with a pu- – she's a publisher now. So far, i got to say it's pretty fantastic. And then also, uh, I really like Sam. Uh, her book, True Crime, is – that's a 2020 book. It's weird because, like – it seems like it came out a year ago. That novella is great, but she is also the editor for Grindhouse Press's Worst Laid Plans. And then after that is uh, I'm finishing Brian Keene's Ghoul for the first time. So a lot of different things. Mercedes, we have to ask, where can people follow you so they can stalk you too? <laughs> 
at your house where I'm just going to like constantly play with your cute kid. Um, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, um, Mercedes Murdoch Yardley. I do have a, a, an author's page, Mercedes M. Yardley. Don't go there because I just never check it. Um, so I'm super intera- super active on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at, Mer- at Mercedes MY, um, and I have a blog at Mercedes M. Yardley. So I'm just, I'm around, I'm on all the time. So please talk to me because I love, <laughs> I can't tell this like two hour conversation. I love to talk and I don't get to because we're in a pandemic. So <laughs> follow Perfect. me, see me. Um, I just want to plug really quick. Uh, we have a, a, a charity anthology coming out um, called Surviving Tomorrow. Um, I have a story in there called Voracious Black and it's a personal essay about, um, I'm from a mining town. We lost a lot of miners in the mine. Um, and about 10 years ago or so, a bunch of my friends were killed in the mine, and I wrote an essay about that. And um, the proceeds are going to deliver COVID kits to the front lines. Oh, so wow. you actually can choose between three different places that you can have your your money go from the the, the proceeds for it. But um, that's called Surviving Tomorrow, and it's out now, I guess. I guess now. Mercedes, this was even more fun than I thought it would be. So I, I appreciate your time here, and uh, yep. Brennan and I would love to have you back. Uh, and we had high hopes, so. You yeah. had what? <laughs> we had high hopes, and it was even oh, more fun than we anticipated. Oh, I'm glad. Even though we, like, railed. Thank you, gentlemen, for letting, like, having a conversation about the serious things was really nice as well. <laughs> this is Lilia. She's the littlest. Is she the artist? She's the youngest. Yeah, this is Itty Bit. Yep. Oh, she, yeah. uh, is she the artist? Well, they both are. Um, oh, okay. They both draw quite a bit. Oh, yeah, someone had a question about art. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that. Um, just about how like awesome your one of your daughters, or maybe it's both. I see your post on their artwork, and it's really awesome. This you promote uh, creativity from your kids, and I, I love that. Oh, thank you. It's I mean, it's what got me through life. <laughs> and I can't try to save my life. They're both they're both good. They're both really good. So. I like what I've seen so far for sure. What were you saying? I'm sorry. I think one of us cut you off. Oh, I was just saying thanks for letting us, like, that we talked about the serious stuff. I hope you guys don't lose listeners (laughs) because we're like. Oh, we don't have many, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) No, if anything, we're going to gain listeners because one of our co-hosts looks like Chris Pratt. Right? (laughs) You do so much. (laughs) I expect you to, like, say clever girl on Waldis Lake. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, I'm, I'm not good at impressions, so I'm not going to embarrass myself, but okay. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a pleasure. So much. Thank you, guys. And if you ever you ever need anything from me, just oh, bye. She says, just let me know. <laughs> See you guys. Have a good night. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.